Levo to the right hand, puts her down. He's going to dump him hard to the ice. Brady Levo just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen. My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Wazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Liebel, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. I'm grateful. Oh yeah, I'm able. Oh yeah, I'm stable. Oh yeah, no label. Oh yeah, you know me. What is going on, everybody? Welcome. Hockey to Hell and Back, episode number 95. Of course, I'm Brady Leibold coming at you guys live from beautiful Muskoka, Ontario. We're almost getting rid of all the snow out here. It's almost rollerblade season. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, if this is your first time watching the show, welcome. If you're somebody who's been following along, welcome back. I really appreciate you being here. Uh, really looking forward to this episode. I've been pumping it up more than I do most episodes uh, because I really believe that the conversation that's about to be had is going to impact uh, the lives of many hockey, hockey families. And, you know, that's the hope because, you know, you're going to have three guys come on here and share their journeys through hockey addiction 
life after hockey and collectively we want to see how we can make the hockey world better for everybody using our experiences and we're only three of many we're only three of many but we're the three that are here tonight uh to talk about these issues and uh just super grateful uh for all of you tuning in and uh i want to get into something right off the bat that's uh a little bit difficult to talk to as you guys know uh behind me we have uh uh, puck support angels, uh, hockey players who have lost their life uh, to suicide or overdose. And, uh, you know, as my guests will probably come on here and say it could have been them as well, but very easily could have been me up there. And, uh, you know, I've made it a point uh, on this podcast and more specifically in puck support to, to research these stories uh, as heartbreaking as they are, uh, but more importantly, to, to just to remember these beautiful individuals that lost their lives and I had been dedicating a show to to one of these angels and we kind of got away for, from it for a little bit, uh, just trying to get some things organized. Uh, but tonight, I want to dedicate this show to the late Isaac Lee. Um, I've been able to connect with his mom, Marla, and uh, her husband, Graham. And, uh, you know, it's it's been tough. It's been tough conversations with Marla. Uh, we lost Isaac on December 7th of 2021. He was a young hockey player a very talented lacrosse player as well. And he lost his battle. He lost his life to an overdose. And I just, before I go any further, I want to send all my love uh, to Marla and Graham and everybody out there uh, who's watching. There's a picture of Marla and Graham wearing puck support stuff. And it's all got uh, Isaac's name in it. I got a puck support hat in on my head with Isaac's name in it. I also have a hoodie tonight, the same one that Marla posted on her on her Instagram page. Uh, right here as well so uh, he's never ever going to be forgotten here at puck support and you know marla i just really appreciate your support and your courage to be able to come forward and share isaac's story i know that it has not been easy for you um i just want to quickly read uh, a little bit of the obituary to give you guys an idea of who isaac was isaac william lee september 23rd 2001 to december 7th 2021 Isaac William Lee was born in Calgary, Alberta, to mother Marla Merkley and father Jordan Lee. He passed away suddenly but peacefully at the Red Deer Regional Hospital with his parents by his side. Isaac is survived by his parents, mother Marla, whose partner is Graham, and father Jordan Lee, whose partner is Tracy. His beautiful, beautiful sisters Ava and Harper Lee, maternal grandparents Brenda and Tim Merkley, maternal grandparents Joanne and Bill Lee, and great-grandmother Elise Merkley. Uncles and aunts, Ryan Merkley, Raymond Lee, Angela, and Mike Blackmore. Uh, Dana Summers and Carmen, Amanda and Sanj, Mahaz Lee, Jennifer, Kurt, Von Esch, beloved cousins, Kayla, whose partner is James, and Amelia, Vanerleest, Janaea Lee, Jerry, whose partner is Dylan, Holly, and Ariel Blackmore. Anna and Evans... Anna and Evan Summers. Isaacs is predeceased by his paternal grandmother, Gwen Lee, and great-grandmother, Hertha May. Isaac was a soft-spoken, introverted big brother who wore his heart on his sleeve. He was a talented writer, intelligent student, and read anything he could get his hands on. Isaac's, Isaac had a keen, unique way of seeing the world. He was a very loyal friend who loved being part of a team. And it was known he was happiest when he contributed to a great play. His latest passion was golf, and he enjoyed many rounds this summer with his grandpa Tim and Graham and his dad. 
He touched many lives with his empathy and generosity. And at the time of his passing, Isaac was attending Red Deer College in hopes of attaining a degree in journalism. He, will, he was very loved and will be deeply missed. And uh, I just want to pull up his picture again here and, and just take a look at that young face. And uh, Marla, I know you're watching, Graham. I know all the family's watching. Uh, I never know what to say in these situations. Um, but if there's anything that I can do about it, and everybody here that's involved in puck support can do about it, we will make sure that he has never, ever forgotten and that his story can go on to help the lives of countless others. Um, just grateful uh, for your courage and bravery. Thank you for sharing Isaac's story. There's many stories uh, where families uh, just don't feel the strength or the courage to come forward. And I've been in a position of privilege to be able to connect with these families during some of the most traumatic events of their life, losing loved ones. And uh, to just to be able to be in a position where they share with me and, and share openly and allow us here at Puck Support to honor their loved ones is just a great privilege. More than anything, we wish we could bring them back, uh, but all we can do is move forward. And I'd like to remind you, Marla, and all your family that myself and everybody here at Puck Support is with you every single step of the way. I'm going to turn it over to Team Issued, and we'll be right back with Aaron Snow and Richard Greenup. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leovold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. TeamIssued.ca, promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. Thank you, Regan Bartell, Jesse Paradise, everybody over there at Team Issued. Been supporting this show since day one. Make sure you go over and check them out. Make sure you follow them at social media at Team Issued. Both of these guys have been on my show before individually and came on the show fearless, shared their stories openly and honestly, vulnerably. And I just so appreciate it more than anything. I appreciate their friendship. The three of us have had a group chat going for the last several months. Uh, and we have some ideas of how we can come together to make, even if it's just a small difference for one person to not have to go through what we went through, which was essentially some of the very same stuff. So a quick introduction uh, to my guest. First, Aaron Snow. Aaron Snow, originally from the great city of Windsor, Ontario. This guy was drafted second round, 23rd overall by the Brampton Battalion, now the North Bay Battalion, in the 2004 OHL Priority Selection Draft. He went on to tear up the Ontario Hockey League, getting drafted in the third round, 90th overall, in 2006 by the Dallas Stars. And... Uh, I'll let Aaron talk a little bit more about his story and the direction that his life headed. But that, uh, I mean, where else would you rather be? You're playing in the OHL, you're drafted, life's looking pretty good, right? And uh, we're going to get into to where his life took him and how, how he got there. I can't wait to, to bring Snowy on. Uh, my second guest, we had to go in age of order of age here because Snowy's a year older, um, Richard Greenup, originally from Oshawa. I think he's actually from a smaller town outside of Oshawa. Give me a thumbs up back there, Greeny, if I'm right. Or, that's right. He's giving me the thumbs up. I'm just reading off Elite Prospects. Uh, 
He broke in to the Ontario Hockey League after being drafted in the ninth round by the Windsor Spitfires. He went on to win an OHL championship, a Memorial Cup, and he was also drafted in 2007 by the Chicago Blackhawks in the sixth round. Much like Snowy and myself, he struggled. He struggled with some addiction issues. And again, I'm going to let Richard come on here and tell his story. So without further ado, let's just bring in the guys. I guess we got to do it by age again. First, Aaron Snow, Richard Greenup, welcome back to the show, boys. What's going on, guys? Hey, Brady. Thanks, thanks so much for doing this, guys. It's uh, it's awesome to see you guys both. Uh, you know, sitting here, even though we're virtually, we've been chatting a lot and uh, over the course of the last few months in a group chat, maybe not as much as we probably would like, but as we both, all of us know. We have pretty busy lives with children, and uh, we've kind of taken our lives in a different direction. But uh, let's start with you, Snowy. Give people a little bit of background about you. I know a lot of people may have seen you on my show before, uh, but give us a little bit of background about Aaron Snow. Okay. Born and raised in Windsor. Um, Played hockey growing up here. Uh, Yeah, I played AAA here. Um, That's my hockey career background started here in Windsor, and it went good growing up. Uh, things were good. Hockey was good. Life was good. Uh, my life pretty much just revolved around hockey, and uh, it went well. It, you know, I got drafted to the OHL and uh, moved away young, and then got drafted to the NHL, and things were good. Life was good. Uh, I, I couldn't have asked for more. I, I worked hard to get where I got, and uh, you know, uh, we'll talk about it <clears throat> a little bit later on. But yeah, it's it, it, I struggled like the, the two you guys did with uh, mental illness, uh, drug addiction. Yeah, it, it kind of led me down a, a path of uh, hell for a while, but I uh, got out of it. And yeah, now I got an uh, eight-year-old daughter and yeah, life is, uh, life's been better now. Yeah, and uh, thanks for sharing that with us, Snowy. And we're going to get into uh, some of the finer details, but just to give people a, a quick background, and and you know, it's the Coles Notes version, but it's uh, it's a very common story. And as we're going to hear from Richard Greenop, Greener, why don't you take it away here and uh, tell us a little bit about you and your journey? Well, I uh, was a young guy, started um, hockey kind of late. My dad was bringing me out for seats and then asked me if I wanted to play. It wasn't something that was really pounded into me hockey. Um, I didn't really live uh, hockey everything, um, but it was something that I was consistent at. And, you know, I uh, grew up pretty normal life and um, got drafted into Windsor, went and played junior. Did the Mem Cup thing, got drafted to Chicago, and then Chicago dropped me. And uh, later in my junior years, started experimenting with a lot of drugs, and um, things re-escalated. I was kind of the person that nobody would ever expect or think something like that would ever happen to. Um, but uh, it did end up happening, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, thank God I made my way out. I uh was in Colts playing pro hockey for two years. I had a three-year contract the least, and, uh, you know, it was – it's not as glorious as everybody thought it would be. Um, I, I, you know, now I live a beautiful life. I've got an awesome family, and uh, I couldn't be happier. But 
Yeah, and and you know what? It's important to recognize that that you know you went through that, uh, and Snowy yourself too is, is that you know we went through this, but here the three of us are, and and we're very lucky to to be able to be in the position to to share our stories because you know I think we've all lost friends, uh, people that have come in our lives uh, to drug overdose and suicide, and guys that uh, we've played with or against, and uh, many of them uh, likely behind me. Um, you know, maybe Snowy, I'll go to you first. Is when when you sit here and you think about, you know, there you are in the OHL and, and then, you know, just a few short years later, you find yourself severely addicted. Uh, is that something that you would have ever imagined happening to you? Um, and, and how did it all kind of come about for you? Like, how did how did you end up in the spot where uh, you started to abuse uh, drugs? Did it start with alcohol? Give us a little bit more, uh, if you don't mind there, Snowy. Yeah, um, started, I think, like most young kids not just hockey players uh with alcohol and and uh, just a little bit of weed here and there but um it, it, it wasn't no i like you said you asked if i would think i would ever be that person or anyone would ever think i'd be that person i think if you could have would have asked anyone when i was younger um if they you know saw me in the future as this person they would have said no just like uh Greeny said there earlier and um I as a young kid uh, I struggled with a little bit of mental illness um I was wasn't diagnosed it didn't start coming out till probably my late teens and my late junior years um that I was bipolar that I really had really high highs and really low lows as a kid looking back now it was there but you know kids are young and, and hormones and you know parents and, and people really you can't really tell a the difference then but it really started to emerge when I got you know in my later years of junior and in my early 20s and and that you know kind of led towards my drug addiction as well it, it it you know it helped me you know I called them happy pills uh, Percocets when I used to take them when I was younger and and yeah, they, they helped me mask the pain of the, in my head and in my heart because I got drafted to the OHL. I got drafted to the NHL and life was good and and life was on track and I, and I was going down the right path and I was doing all the right things. And, and um, you know, I, I went, got drafted to Brampton, 23rd overall, and, and I had a good couple of years. I got drafted to the NHL and and I, yeah, I was drinking and I was smoking a little bit of weed here and there with the boys, but it wasn't anything extreme. It wasn't anything uh, out of the ordinary at, at the time with with the bunch of guys I was around or or anyone in general. So yeah, it started with that. But um, uh, once I got into, well, I think it was my third year junior, um, I got traded to a small town in Belleville, and I just. It didn't gel with the team. Uh, I wasn't playing like myself. So I, I just started to kind of go down a, a bad path mentally. Um, I, I suffered a lot of depression. Um, I, I really struggled hard in my head and I, I, I didn't want to play hockey anymore. And, you know, you live your whole life to, to be this person and to, to play hockey and, and, you know, you grow up wanting to play in the NHL and you're almost there. And, uh, you know, you get to a point where you have a couple of years to sign an NHL contract and and things start to go downhill and they start to go downhill pretty quickly. And when those things happen and I started playing not like myself and not good, it wasn't I wasn't seen as Aaron, the 
person. It was, you know, okay, Aaron the hockey player is just not good at hockey anymore. Meanwhile, I was fighting this battle within me to just want to live the next day and get through the next day. You know, I was always, you know, one of the first guys at the rink, one of the last guys to leave, but I was, you know, the last guy to the rink, the first guy to get off the ice. I just couldn't wait to get out of there. And at home, I just, I just struggled. And I wasn't drinking a lot. I wasn't doing drugs a lot. So when those, when that started to happen, you know, people from the outside had to, pinpointed on something okay he must be drinking too much he must be doing drugs and at the time I wasn't and uh yeah it started to slowly go downhill and and I wasn't playing like myself and so you know in those two most important years of my life it it kind of all blew up and it all kind of went to shit and um that was the hardest part for me so that in itself later on years later when I got into drugs hard and I you know, was using to just numb the pain of everything. That's the pain I think I was numbing was that pain from being younger and having these dreams and wanting to play pro hockey and, and, you know, and not working out. And yeah, I had, I was in, you know, I think this is something I don't know we were going to get to a little bit later, but, you know, as a young kid playing hockey and being a good young hockey player, you know, you have lots of agents come around, you have lots of people around you that want to support you and say they're going to be there for you. And my agent was Darren Ferris at the time with the or hockey group. And yeah, you know, when obviously when Bobby or calls, you're like, okay, you know, I want to be with, you know, going to go with you guys. Meanwhile, I could have went with anyone. And um, at the time I decided to go with them. And at the time I needed them most at the time I struggled the most in my career and needed someone to come and just say, Hey, you know, what's wrong, what's going on. We're going to fix this. You need some help. You know, it's not just about hockey anymore. They weren't there. And, uh, you know, so yeah, I just, one of those things when parents, when they start looking at those things that their kid is good enough, there's lots of options and lots of things you got to look at, not just, okay, you know, I, I want my kid to go with the, the biggest name or the best player, the best, you know, whoever's got the most talent, it's, you know, it's, there's a lot more to it. And, you know, they cared about the money and the, the, the Jordan stalls and the, the stall families, of the world, the Stewart families, of the world. And when things went downhill for me, it, you know, and I needed them the most, they weren't there for me. And uh, that was hard too, because, you know, you think someone's there to support you and, and someone there to help you when you need it. And in time when your young kid moved away from home, and yeah, so hockey went to shit and hockey was my life. So when it, I went to shit, you know, my life went to shit. And and it didn't go to shit right, right after that. You know, I kind of got out of it and got out of the OHL and I went to Western and I played there and I ended up hurting my knee. And then, you know, like I think a lot of stories that lead to drug addiction, you know, I, I started with Percocets and, you know, next thing you know, Oxycontin, fentanyl and every drug you can think of. But, you know, that's... You know, I, I say short, but, you know, I kind of rambled on a bit, but that's a little bit of the backstory and how I ended up where I was. It wasn't just one day I was like, oh, you know, I want to use drugs or my whole life I was a drug addict. No, I kind of led up to that and, you know, I loved hockey and I wanted to play hockey and it didn't work out and, you know, it wasn't the end of the world, but to me it was. And it was something that, you know, I worked so hard for and to see it go away so quickly, you know, it was tough. So, you know, when in those years when they're like, you know, he must have been a drug addict, he must have been an alcoholic when I wasn't, when I was just struggling mentally. Um, there, 
you know, when I became a drug addict and I was using, I was like, you know, I, I just became that person. Like, you know, they already think I am one. So, you know, fuck it. I'll just, I'll do it anyways, because it doesn't matter now because my life's over, my career's over. Meanwhile, there's so much more to life than just hockey. And, and you know, yeah, hockey was my life at the time, but at the time I was young and I was naive and I was cocky and had an ego and that's all my life was, was hockey. But, you know, when there's a broader perspective and I look at it now and I have my young daughter and my family around, that's more important than, uh, you know, a game that you play. Wow. I'm going to bring, uh, I'm going to bring you in here in a sec, Greeny, but I just want to just digest that for a second. There's a lot of comments already coming in. Uh, Dean Smeal, you know, just wants to sit here. He says that absolutely pisses me off talking about uh, the story with the agent. And, you know, I, like I went through something similar in junior, like where I was just like, what you're saying is I'm listening to exactly how it's feeling. Like it just, I didn't want to play. I was, I wanted to just be out of the rink. As soon as I got there, I was like, I don't want to be here anymore. Uh, it wasn't always that way. I used to love going to hockey. Uh, didn't fit in, you know, in the dressing room at times. Uh, and then all of a sudden people were thinking too, for me that like, Oh, this guy is just, this guy's like out of his mind. He, he's, he's lost. He's doing drugs. He's doing whatever. And yeah. nobody ever really stopped to actually ask and have a conversation. It was always just assuming, right. It was just assuming that this is going on about the hockey. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, we're, we're going to circle back to all of that. And I think, you know, on the educational side later, later on in the show, yeah. I'm so thankful that you shared that story because there's a lot of young aspiring hockey players. And I, I really think it's the parents that need to listen and have more of a, a, a they need to assert themselves in their kids lives right from right from the youngest like kids. Now, it's not everything. It's not everything for the game. It is not everything for the game. It cannot be everything for the game. Uh, because as we hear with you, we're going to hear with Greeny, uh, his, his story is a little bit different. His exit out of hockey was more kind of his choice. Concussions, uh, played part two. Um, but it, it's, it's a dangerous way to live a life, uh, when you have all this expectation and, and that's your identity. And if one thing goes wrong and it's gone, we're pretty much left to do this on our own. And it's like, where the hell is the support? You're part of a team. You feel like you're part of a team. You feel like these people care. And then as soon as you're no good anymore, it's like, whoa, like, where, where did everybody go? Like, what the hell's going on? So I'm going to bring Greeny into the conversation and, and maybe you want to touch on some of the stuff that we said, uh, or if there's any of the same maybe experiences that you had through junior, like how was it for you when you moved away from home and, and, and was there drinking when you were playing junior? What did you, what did you kind of see and how were you uh, through junior with your mental health and sort of drinking and leading into addiction later on? Um, in junior, um, I, cause I was spent a lot of time. I, I, I had a lot of sessions with uh, therapists, psychologists, stuff like that. Um, my anxiety as a kid was always very, very high. I was a very quiet kid. Um, I was always a hardworking kid. I was always the hardest working person. Um, and never necessarily could have been hockey. Like, even when I was playing hockey, I was always the hardest working guy. I wasn't as interested in hockey, but I would, I would always be in the gym or I would be doing something else or, you know what I mean? I, but I was working, I was doing something. Um, and, uh, in junior, I, I, they kept up with that with me. They would, they were really good about that. They always had a therapist for me and stuff like that. Um, and as for the drugs and everything like that, it was mainly things were taken off with junior the team was getting better. Um, the drinking, there was a lot of drinking. I'm not going to lie on that there was a ton of drinking. I came from a family that 
had drinks and, and, you know, you know, my family introduced me to drinking, uh, at an earlier age. So basically I'd know how to handle myself. They knew I was going to face those sort of things later down the line, especially playing hockey. So they wanted me to have self-control and respect at that point. Um, but, uh, the drugs mainly came in, um, once the team started getting better and then, and we hit a wall and, you know, Mickey passed, um, you know, and that's when the drum into the play. And later in there, I got uh, first injury. So been my second junior, I got a shoulder injury and I got a prescription for perks. And when the prescription was done, my uh, cravings weren't done. And, you know, I called somebody and got some more. And then um, that continued into the third year and right through Mem Cup. And then Chicago dropped me and I signed with the Leafs. And once I signed with the Leafs is when the money started coming in and I started to purchase uh, oxys because at that point I was taking like 60 perks a day and my stomach was just hardening up and it was terrible. Um, and once I started purchasing the oxy, my first year pro wasn't as bad. Like I wasn't as physically dependent. And then all of a sudden it happened like out of nowhere. It was just like I woke up one morning and I was sweating and I was shaking and I didn't even know what the heck it was. And then I pinpointed it once I picked up again. And, uh, you know, that was right at the end of the year. And then that summer was really bad. And then I got another uh, bonus installment and then went into the second year and my second year with the, the Marlies, they, I, it was, I was going into the season and I uh, didn't do much through the summer and I knew I was out of shape. So I started thinking I was going to do steroids because I figured that might give me a bit of a start for camp and went into camp extremely overweight. It was like 265 pounds. They sent me to Reading, Pennsylvania for a conditioning stint. So... Now, as me going to Reading, Pennsylvania, and knowing I have a habit that I need to keep up, and I'm playing in my hometown, so now I'm noticing that I'm moving somewhere. I don't know anybody. I don't know where I'm going to buy stuff. Um, I decided I'm going to load up with as much stuff as I could possibly get, and I funneled it all down to Pennsylvania with me, and I played... I think my stash was like, I thought it would last me like a month. It only lasts me like seven days. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I ended up sweating it out down Pennsylvania. And I took my last concussion. And from that point on, it was a whirlwind. I turned into a person that nobody would have imagined I'd ever be. Nobody... Uh, ever would want to associate with me there's still people probably to this day that never in a million years think i would even straightened out from where i was um but at the same time those same people never thought i would ever be in the position i was in so Mm. um you know i've done i did terrible things my life things I, i still to this day haunts me in my sleep um and, you know, I try to do my best with things in life now. And, um, you know, 
I try to do things positively so that, you know, my grandfather down on me or my aunt can look down on me and, and have a little pride from the things that they've seen um, me do from before. You know, I was I wasn't the man I I thought I would be, or the man that I was bred and mm. raised into being. You know, and uh, I thought it wasn't the pressure for me. It was uh, more of the pride and and who I was and what I was doing. Um, but you know, things turned around, and, and, and it's good. It's good, and and. What, what I would like to see for us and what we're doing is, you know, we need to shed some light on trigger signs and things that, yes. that are happening or things you might see in your kids or things you might, you know, even kids, like kids that can notice signs that maybe they're getting a little too deep or, or even a, a something that people can reach out and, or even ha- ask questions. Like maybe somebody did see a sign and they thought it was a sign. And then, you know, they need to call somebody and say, am I going crazy? Or did I notice my kid just do something really messed up? And it could it be this, or, you know what I mean? Like, I hope something comes around and I hope the game starts changing awareness starts getting bigger. And, you know, cause like, I know for me, it probably could have been avoided. It really could have. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I was a very, very hardworking kid. I was well-spoken. I was, you know, like I, I was drafted sixth round. Chicago drops me. I got signed as a free agent to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, you know, I had world by the balls. It, you know what I mean? And people would be excited for that. I wasn't, you know, I personally didn't really want to play anymore. But um, that's the whole other story. But, you know, it's just you know, I had life good. So, you know, it can happen to anybody. So I'll let you take it from your brain. No, I mean, you, you keep talking as much as you guys want. I, get, I, I talk way too much as is. This shows about you guys. Um, first off, both of you guys. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I just want to circle back to both of you. So the very first time that you were giving, given an opiate, Percocet, Oxy, we'll go with Percocet. Uh, for people watching, a Percocet, uh, one Percocet pill is a five milligram pill with Oxy with acetaminophen in it. Um, Oxy, it, it is an Oxy, it's just a five milligram Oxy. But when we talk Oxy, we're talking a little bit higher milligrams. Um, and you don't have to take as many as Richard alluded to his stomach hurting. And it's all stuff that I went through as well. And I'm sure Snowy did too. Yeah. Um, where, where, how old were you? Um, and where were you the first time that, that you were given one of those pills? Snowy, we'll start with you. Um, I want to think now, like, I'm trying to think it was definitely in my, my junior hockey days. Now, I don't know if it was before, cause I know when I played and I told, I said this last time on the show, when I played in Belleville, there was, um, you know, our doctor gave them to us regularly. And there was like a little stash that just kind of sat in the room and I hurt my shoulder and uh, I had taken a couple and, you know, I grabbed a couple more cause I, I liked the feeling, but it, I kind of stayed at that. It was like, you know, down the road, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I, maybe it's, you know, I, I feared these things, but at the time it was, it just was like a couple. And I was like, you know, I felt good, but I'm trying to think if it was before that. Um, but I, I, it was right around there. I think it was my, my first or, you know, my second or third year junior. 
and um yeah it was uh it was either when i was playing uh in belleville and i i hurt something or i was at home one this summer just before that i can't pinpoint it exactly but it was right around then and uh yeah it's it was something that i i, I did but i i did took a couple and i liked it but i never got into it but um i want to hop in yeah go ahead I want to hop in for a second and ask you something there. Like, so when you're, you know, these, these painkillers, I say this all the time on the show because you never know who's watching maybe for the first time, painkillers, opiates, Oxycontin, fentanyl, heroin, morphine, Percocet, all these, they're not just physical painkillers, they're emotional painkillers. And that's why I became so addicted. It wasn't so much, here. right. And, and I know Greeny's nodding his head, right. So it's very important yeah. to understand that when, if you don't know, right, if you really don't, if you're not in a severe amount of pain, like in the hospital, right, I would say don't take painkillers because you don't know mm-hmm. how it's going to counter the like, counteract to your brain. And I know from the dentist, are, not from, a, you know, if it's a major surgery, okay. But if it's not and you can take Tylenol, just take it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, listen, I'm not asking these questions because I'm trying to pinpoint it on a certain junior league or anything. No. no uh, and I, I think that. they've done a much better job with the players now monitoring it, but it was a different time when we played. Oh yeah. The reason why I jumped in here is I want to ask you is at any given time, when you, when you were given pills by a doctor, did a doctor ever sit you down and say, Hey, listen, if you take these for five, six, seven days in a row, your body will become physically dependent on them. Never. And you say doctor now, because now I think to, you know, my days at the university when I hurt my knee, and I was, I needed them, you know, I, I needed them a little bit, you know, I, I told the doctor a bunch of bullshit stories yeah. Yeah. that he should have eventually caught on and not, and stopped believing them. But, you know, it, you know, I hurt my, when I hurt my knee, I, yeah, I, you know, he gave me a bottle of hundred, but then I'd go back in a week and say, you know, they're gone for, you know, I left my home when I went home for the weekend or something like that. And that kept going on and on and on and on and on. And he just kept writing the script and writing the script and writing the script and writing the script. And, you know, I take blame. I don't blame this on anybody. I don't blame what happened to me on, you know, anyone in the world but myself. I take accountability for everything. But it was really easy for me to do. And, you know, I'm sure it was easy for you guys sometimes too. But even when I went to get um, better, uh, when I got a little bit older, to the methadone and suboxone clinic, that's when I got the most drugs from the doctor that was supposed to get me off the drugs he was giving me the most oxys and fentanyl patches that i'd ever gotten out of anybody so you know it's you know i think now the world you know covid has kind of masked the the opioid addiction and the opioid epidemic a little bit but it's still there and it's still booming and um i actually just watched a show on um i think it was disney plus it's called dope sick yeah and it's both purdue pharma who essentially single-handedly started the opioid ep- epidemic by inventing oxycotton and pushing it in small um you know mining towns in the u.s who you know people get hurt a lot in back pain and and eventually they spread out and they knew this addiction um crisis and epidemic was happening in these towns and slowly spreading but they kept pushing the drug and pushing the drug and you know it, it just it honestly and I, I had done research before this had come out and knew about Purdue Pharma and what they had done and all, everything they had gone on. But <clears throat> they had a lot to do when yeah. they invented Oxycontin and were pushing it for moderate pain 
because opioids were only used for, you know, cancer patients, people that were dying, um, you know, a small amount of time after a surgery or a dental procedure. But they came in and said, no, it can be used for moderate pain. And they told all their sales reps that it wasn't addictive. And, yeah. um, you know, so they went to the doctors and were like, you know, you know, the town, all these things. And you know, it slowly kind of spread and spread and spread and got worse and worse. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty powerful show. And there's a couple other ones. But, the, you know, just to highlight that there, like they did, they advertise it as like a very non-addictive painkiller. It was like the end all be all like we just created this pill. You can take yeah. it, it'll kill your pain and there's going to be no side effects. And that drug has killed so many people, not just from oxys, but it led for me. I went from the oxy CDNs and then all of a sudden they took them and changed them to the neos. And I was like, well, I guess I can't use it the way that I want to use it anymore. So now I'm going to go to heroin. Now I'm going to go to fentanyl. And before yeah. you know it, I'm hanging out in crack shacks and robbing drug dealers and, yeah. and shooting up and doing all this stuff pretty far away from being a pro hockey player like and, where we're at. You know, I want to I want to bring I want to bring Greeny. He's, yeah. he's shaking his head, nodding his head. Did you hear something there that that rang a bell with you? No, just when you when you said uh, when they change when they change the pills. You know, I, that was, I remember when they were talking about that, I was like, there's no way it's going to happen. There's no way it's going to happen. And then they did. And you're exactly right. Everybody just kind of scattered and went to different routes. Some went fentanyl, some people went heroin, some people went and stick with the neos and it kind of kicked the smoking and the snorting and the bang in them. Right. But um, yeah, it's, it was uh, quite interesting how that all played out. So, so tell me a little bit. Yeah, I know you mentioned it. Like you, you were taking these pills right up through playing in the Memorial Cup. Like you're, you're in the Memorial Cup, and you're taking uh, some pretty heavy painkillers. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah. Um, so basically, uh, when I first got my first prescription, and and back to what you said, Brady, about has a doctor ever said anything to you? I, I shit you not. The doctor that wrote me the script, he said I do um i don't know what it was it was he said it was some sort of counseling for opiate addict uh addicted people and he said i shit you not this stuff will ruin your life he goes i really shouldn't be giving this to you but you know he just like him just like anybody else that knew me at that time never would imagine me you know and he wrote me the script and i never thought anything of it because I was always in real close touch with what was going into my body and I was pretty much a freak in the gym. So uh, genetically, I was pretty gifted. So I didn't think anything of it. And uh, when I first took that pill, it uh, turned my brain off for the first time, which was a relief that I was looking for for my entire life. It was something that you know, all the hours in therapy, all the hours with the psychologist or a therapist, um, the, all the prescriptions they put me on for my anxiety. Like, I was like, why the hell didn't they give me this years ago? Like, why, why have you been giving me all these other medications? This, this thing just turned my brain off finally. Like, it, it was the best feeling in the world. And it cured um, everything. It, yeah and I, I just um it worked and so i just kept using it and then then i was purchasing and it went all the way up to mem cup 
and I was still using perks, but I wasn't physically addicted. I was only using it at nighttime before bed. Um, I never used it during the day, never used it like in during the day or before games or anything like that. I, always strictly just before bed. And, um, and then so where, where did that change? Signed, yeah. Where did that change for well, you? What, what boundary broke? Um, I noticed that they weren't affecting me the same. And then when I switched to Oxy, it would have been in between pro and, uh, like after mem cup, before I went to Toronto, um, it was still a nighttime thing. And I was into my first year and, uh, I always take it before bed. It was at that point I was using eighties, Oxy eighties, and I was snorting them and I was yeah. only doing it before bed and it was always one pill. And then it was two pills before bed. And then, um, uh, the one day after, cause after I took a concussion my first year and I wasn't playing. So the one day after the morning skate, I came home and I decided I was, or after morning practice, I came home and when I would take my nap, I decided, well, playing, I'll do a little bump and take, have a good nap. Well, then the next day I thought I would do the same. Then the next day I thought I'd do the same. So then it was just before nap time and bedtime. And then the next day and the next day and the next day. And then three weeks later, I woke up and we went out one night and the next morning I didn't have so I slept right in and I woke up after that point where I would have had that bump before my nap and I woke up and I was in cold sweats and then that's when things started changing that's when I was started using it obviously whenever my body told told me or my mind told me that I needed to use it right to where it's a pretty scary schedule anymore it's a, Yo, it's, it's a pretty it's terrifying it's a, you start running through all the options like what what why why do i feel like this Is it, am i sick and then you start thinking and then you're like what yeah i i didn't even piece together I, I had no idea and then i was like fuck i should probably grab something like i feel like shit and i called my buddy and then i went and picked up and all of a sudden gone you know? feel like superman right. life is good again right you, know, you go yeah. from being, Life's good. you go back on the you go from being being the most worthless human being in in dope sickness where you can't even get out of bed shitting your pants can't sleep all that stuff if people have not gone through it listening there is no there is no possible way anybody could understand what it feels like to be going through drug withdrawal to opiates unless you've gone through it and take it from the three of us it's not something that you ever want to go through and i don't know about you guys but i went through it more times than i can count because i would try to get i would try to stop i would try to stop because it was like you know just going back to when i first started like first year pro and then all of a sudden the same kind of thing it was like holy shit like what is going on here taking it and it's like whoa i'm better it's like okay well i guess i just got to keep doing this and then but in the back of your mind you know it's not good but you got to go to practice you got to do this you got to do that and it's like all all the while i was like there's no way I can tell anybody that I'm a full-blown drug addict here. And I wasn't even acknowledging that I was, right? Like I was yeah. getting them from the team doctors and and I, and like like Snowy was saying, and I'm sure Greeny, you were the same way, manipulating team doctors, saying whatever you had to say to get it. And they were just like, yep, go, see you later, right? Um, until the summertime, much like yourself, then you go to uh, the street drugs. Uh, there's pills or a street to get pills. And that I don't know about you guys, but that's where 
the two worlds started to collide for me because now it wasn't just getting them from the doctors. Now you're going to meet other people on the street who are totally unrelated to doctors, totally unrelated to hockey. Uh, and now we're probably doing a lot of other drugs too. Um, you know, Snowy, I know you mentioned, uh, you know, you said heroin, fentanyl, everything in between. Uh, how long did it take you from, uh, you know, from going from pills during hockey uh, to, to turning to street drugs? And what did that feel like? Because I know for me, you know, it was a, it was a bit of a process. I was around people that were doing heroin and smoking crack and doing stuff. And I was like, yeah, right, man. Like you guys are way worse than me. Cause I just do the pills, give me the pills and I'm out of here. Right. But yeah. what was the turning point for you? Um, well, I think it was, it was honestly, I, it was, when the doctors either stopped writing the scripts or if I had got, you know, my script was done and, uh, yeah, I just need, needed some and, and yeah, it's, street drugs for me the first were you know oxycontin and you know i i, I think the first actually it was like morphine and i was like you know i did a little bit and you know, i was like i don't, I don't really like this and then i and then i, and then I you know did oxys because i was only doing perks before and it did a little bit of time and then you know at 20 turned into 40 40 turned into an 80 and next thing you know you're doing five or six 80s a day and mm-hmm. and then you know someone's like you know you know do a little toke of this fennel patch and it's you know it's better and then next thing you know you know i'm i'm so you know from the point where i was really bad on oxys getting them from the doctor and you know and uh you know i I actually don't even think i've told this story before you know you guys you guys talk about doing drugs while you're playing um i before i was you know really bad with perks i was doing a couple here and there while i was still playing at western and I was doing, per- but I was only doing perks. So, you know, I was like, you know, I'm, I just did it. I was doing probably four or five a day, maybe, maybe sometimes a little more, but yeah, I, I was in my, my, it was my, my, my third year because that's the year I got picked to play for team Canada, the world university games. And when they came in and said, you know, are you on any medications? Cause we were going to Turkey, you know, I wrote down Percocet. And then, cause I knew it was probably banned, but I was taking it and it was from the team doctor. And, you know, so I wrote down and, I, but I was sniffing them. Right. So I was in camp to make this team and then, you know, I was in a hotel. And so, yeah, I'm sniffing. I wasn't even chewing them. I was to think about it now. It's just disgusting. This was mostly Tylenol, but yeah, I was sniffing perks before to go onto the ice to play in camp to make team Canada and I made team Canada. And then, you know, once I, but then I hurt my knee and I didn't get to go to Turkey and that's when it just started to get worse. Cause it was in that year when I was doing perks, but it wasn't that bad. And, you know, I think life was still pretty good. And I, I made team Canada and I was you know, doing a little bit here and there. And, and then I hurt my knee and I was out for a year and then it started perks and more perks and then oxys and, and, but then I had to rehab my knee, but I rehabbed it like shit because I was doing, I started doing oxys kind of when I started doing way more perks than I should have been. Then I got an oxys and I was rehabbing my knee. I did a really bad job at it. I, I wasn't doing it consistently and my knees it's pretty much still messed up from it. But I, I had planned to come back and play the season after, but I was, you know, at the time, you know, I, I going to say, yeah, I was an addict because I was doing it every day. And so I only played two games in my fourth season going back because not because of the drugs, actually I was doing 
my first, I played two games that season and I was sniffing, I was doing 80s at, by that time and I was sniffing 80s before the games and the other, you know, if it was a away game, I would go to another locker room, pretend like I was warming up or something. And I only played two games that season, but then my, um, it was probably from the drugs, but my legs started swelling up. It was like the weirdest thing. I went to put my skate on one day and I couldn't get my skate in my foot in my skate. And I was like, what the fuck? And it looked and my, my, my calf was like huge. And it, it was like, I, I didn't know. And I honestly, I, it had to do with the drugs. It must've been. And so my body was doing all these crazy things from probably using so much. And, and then I was doing so much drugs. Then I, I play those two games and then, you know, my doctor was writing me scripts and I had my doctor's cell phone number on speed dial and he worked at the, um, 24 hour clinic at the ER. So if I was ever out in the middle of the night, shoot him a text, he sent a script over 24 hour shoppers. I go pick him up. But yeah. So, you know, going back, I don't think I've ever told that story to anyone coming out now. I didn't think about you guys, you know, tell stories using while playing, you know, I, I think back, you know, you know, I don't really use what I was playing. Well, you know, when I, when I really was started getting into it, you know, when I was playing at Western, I was using while I was playing, but uh, yeah. So, that, that kind of clicked in my head because I didn't really think about it for the longest time. But Well, th thanks for, for sharing that. And sometimes we just have to talk through these things to, to remember. And, you know, I, I want to get into uh, a couple other things. I just want to give people a perspective of kind of where three guys who were elite hockey players with pretty much the world by the balls and every opportunity. And sometimes, you know, things come our way or things happen. Um, and, and the three of us, actually, I just realized this, the last – the last year that we played hockey, aside from my little comeback in the in the EOSHL, which is like, you know, senior men's doesn't really count. But on the elite prospects page, we all stopped playing in 2011, 2012. I don't know if you guys knew that. Like, you know, yeah, it's the same, really, yeah, it's same, year, same year. Like, if I'm crazy. looking at your guys' and I know mine is 2011-12 and went back to Rio Grande. So, yeah. Rooney, I'm going to bring you in. So, when you, when you stop playing – uh, 2011, 2012. Well, you didn't play any games that year, but is your last one here. Uh, it was the last year on your contract when you're not playing. Right. Um, and you kind of know that your, your career is kind of over, uh, essentially the concussions, um, you're addicted to drugs. How much longer did you, uh, suffer, uh, and struggle after we see you go cold on elite prospects? Cause we're now in 2022. That's 10 years ago. How long did it take you? What was the turning point for, for you to say enough is enough? Um, to be honest with you, it, that's when things started getting real bad. Um, I was at home recovering from depression, um, and I was using and using and using and using. Um, I got a settlement check for the concussion. I uh, was spending about $1,200 a day on drugs and the check from uh, my concussion for Pennsylvania got eat, eaten up real quick um, and things were escalating quickly and I was going from relationship to relationship to just being a loser I was you know nothing was going good for me um, I was using oxy, I was using fentanyl, I was using pain. I would use, um, I was getting upwards to about 15 to 16 80s a day. And I was using them to the point that, 
I was nodding off and then I would be using cocaine to wake myself up mm-hmm. and then I would nod off and then I would use cocaine to wake myself up and it would just be a vicious cycle all day. Um, and you know, it was a few years of that. And then I kind of, I found a job. I got a job working out of town for uh, trans Canada and you had to do a drug test to, um, just to get that job, but after you didn't have to drug test again. Anyways, um, kind of cleaned myself out to do this job, and it was actually really good for me. I it got me out of town. This would have been when I was. So you said my last year is twenty twelve. Yeah, your last year contract 2011-2012. Yeah, so this would have been probably like twenty four, twenty thirteen. So I. I started working and then um, it was pretty good. I, I worked the summer into the winter, but once I got laid off, then it would be back up to my fucking bullshit again. And then I was at home. So then I would go back out the next year, start working again. And then I'd be back on my bullshit once I get laid off. And um, I eventually kind of kicked it just out of the cycle of working and then not working, working, not working. And at the time I, uh, had a daughter and I was with her mother and, you know, um, she couldn't deal with my bullshit with the way life was going with that. And then when we separated, um, I ended up getting into a nasty cycle again. And that's when I had met, uh, eventually found, um, fentanyl and I was introduced to fentanyl. And then it was just like the, the, remember the first high, that we were talking about where your brain shuts off first time using fentanyl was like that all over again. And, and to me that lit a light bulb. I was like, I didn't think it was possible to get this high again. Um, and then with the fentanyl, it was so expensive to get it that it was almost impossible to use it every day, you know, cause I didn't, at that time I didn't have doctors or nothing just to prescribe it to me. Um, but the hook that it had on me, like I wouldn't be like on the floor sick or nothing like that, but I bet your ass would go to a drug dealer and I did it multiple times just to get fentanyl. And I'm not dope. Like I wouldn't be dope sick or, or anything like that. I need it now. It was, it was mentally, it had the mental grasp on me. Like I needed to turn my brain off. So, you know, I would go to do. Yeah. It was was 40. just just to give hop in here quickly guys just to give people a perspective sorry to cut you off so when you're talking oxys uh or heroin they have about an eight to ten hour half-life and when you do fentanyl it's about 30 to 45 minutes um maybe an hour so the amount you have to you the amount of times you have to take it in a day becomes a lot more plus it's a lot stronger so i just wanted to give people education on it so that stuff kind of just kind of messed me right up and then it got me right back in the cycle again um and then uh i eventually just started focusing on my work and what i was doing at work and i used that as an out um and with oatc and everything like that um they helped out a lot and in work and i just kind of put my head down and just started going and I 
started to climb up in the work area and life started turning around. Um, I met my wife and, you know, and, and through all that time, you know, my dad was hounding me and like, you know, he would always like, he was always like a sucker for me. And I, like my dad is, is the most important person to me. And, you know, he did so much for me and still to this day, but you know, a guy like that, your own father and, you know, a drug makes you do just the worst things. And yeah, you never would imagine yourself doing these things. And, yeah. you know, and my dad, God bless him. But now, you know, he, he's just happy to see me and where I am. Um, but, you know, talk about my rocks, like, you know, him and then my mother, my mother was always, she always knew, she always knew, she she, she saw through all my bullshit, right? Or to where my dad didn't. And, you know, yeah, and then that, that kind of implemented a, a, you know, I know my, my mom knows what I'm doing, so I'm not going her way. You know what I mean? My dad, uh, you know, he, he's trying to help me and, and, and he was, and it was just, it was such a, a terrible, confusing time. And, uh, you know, thank God I made it out and thank God I still have everybody and, you know, my wife and my whole life changed from there. Um, and yeah, that's how things ended up. Now I'm here. Shout out, shout out to the great people at the Ontario Addiction Treatment Centers, the OATC. Uh, yeah. Snowy, you went through them too. I'm still, listen, guys, I'm still currently on methadone. I'm proud to say that I'm down to three mils of methadone, like not 3.330, like three. Like I'm, I'm like hopping off this program real quick. That's good, man. But let me tell you, it's been a process. It's been a process. For sure. It hasn't for sure. been easy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And for for anybody that's watching, right, you want to say that people that use MATs, uh, which is methadone, suboxone, um, you know, it, it, you know, I've been two years plus years clean. People know that I've used cannabis in those two years. Uh, people know that I'm on methadone barely now. Um, but without those two things for me and my recovery journey, I don't know if I get to this place right now. Like there's just no way. So if people can do it without it, that's great. But don't expect everybody else to be able to do it a certain way. So it's interesting. The OATC, I actually uh, talked to some people there and, and uh, potentially kind of sit on the patient advisory board to try to make that program better for addicts coming in. Because as we know, the, the hoops that you have to jump through to get on these programs can sometimes just be enough to say, you know what, screw it. I'm going to stay on the drugs. Right. But they are trying to help and they do a great job. Uh, Snowy, I'll bring you in. If you want to comment on anything that uh, Greeny had to say there or, or your kind of experience through all that. Um, but yeah, well, I'm on methadone as well. And yeah, I'm on my way down. Actually, I was, you know, because of how much dope I was doing, I, I started on a really high dose. But yeah, I'm, I'm, it's a, it's a process. You know, it, it takes, it takes time. And I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm slowly getting down there. And then hopefully one day in the near future, I'll be off. And hey, it, I'm, I'll say it if I can't, and I, and I, I think I need it, you know, I, I won't be ashamed of it because it, it keeps me, it keeps me clean. It keeps me sober. I agree with you 100% on that. And you never change that. Don't let anybody influence you on that. Cause you know yourself more than anybody. And I'm the same way. And that's how I felt. And like, I still, 
live my life where it's like, if I feel like, Hey, I'm, you know, whatever, I, I have no problem going to my doctor now and saying, Hey, you know, whatever, if I need to go up. But thankfully I've taken the time the last two years, it's been two years to come down from 110 mils down to mm -hmm. three. It's a two yeah. year process. And like you, I was doing a lot of dope and I was entrenched into that life for a lot of years. So anybody that can expect somebody to just go to detox, go to rehab for 30 days and then have all your life figured out, it, it's, it's likely impossible. I'm not saying that that's not no, a process. But keep going. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. I had to no, give no, you no, no. Yeah. But yeah, it's a relapse. I think what relapse rate is like 80, 85% that people are going anywhere, trying to get off with OITC or going to detox. And they don't relapse is a part of recovery. And it, it happens to probably 99.9 of all addicts trying to get better. And it's a process, uh, you know, being in recovery and, and going to different um, centers, you know, it's it's a revolving door. And people know that because sometimes when you go back, you see the same people and, you know, they, they fight the same battle and it's it's a struggle. And then sometimes it takes for me, I, I went to detox 10 times, you know, I, I went to, you know, different centers yeah. so many times yeah. and I just wasn't ready. And then until you're ready to get better yourself inside yourself, then you'll get better. But until that time, it's not going to happen to do it for anyone else, but yourself, it's never going to happen. You got to want it. And, you, and that's it. And uh, touching on a little bit of what Greeny said um, about his dad there, it almost mm. the same thing with me. I, and I can just tell when he was talking and the faces he was making and, and how, how, you know, he's, I put my parents through hell, you know, I, my mom got to a point where she couldn't handle it anymore and she hung on as long as she could. And she just had to get away. She had to get away from me and she, she, and I understand it now. And, you know, I look back now and it makes me sick to think that the stuff that I put my parents through my family through and, and um, yeah, but my, my dad was, you know, always there to try and, you know, even if I was at my worst point, he he did kind of see a light at the end of the tunnel. Always, he never kind of gave up, and and um, and you know, my mom never gave up on me. You know, she just was at a point where it was she couldn't do it anymore. I I and I know why because what I was doing and how messed up I was and the money I was stealing from them and all the bullshit and the lies and it was just it was too much. And you know, my dad could put up with it a little more, and and you know, he kind of you know just kind of stood there and, 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 you know, I, I put him through hell as well, but you know, it was, uh, you know, it was a hard time, but, um, you know, getting to, to where, you know, I am now and, and just being happy and healthy and, and to think that this time would come when I was, didn't want to live and doing all the drugs in the world that could kill however many people. Yeah. It's so it's, you know, and, it's it's not a a life it's not like brady said with the withdrawal and anything. you don't well you don't wish that on your worst enemy because you know how bad it is and how terrible that feeling is um of, of not having that stuff and then yeah so it, everyone's recovery is different and then doing it people some people can go to detox and, and get off and i know me going back um to when i first tried to get off I think it was the first time I, I went into detox and uh, this time, this point I was probably doing five or six days a day. I went into detox and 
I went through hell for like two weeks and I just cold turkey it and um, I got better and I was good. I was in uh, rehab for a month or two and then I was out and I was clean. But, you know, this is leading into how I got into the psych ward was um, I'd already, you know, like I said earlier, struggled from a little bit of mental illness. But my opiates, they suppress your central nervous system. So, you know, they keep you low and, you know, they numb that pain. So you're always kind of, that's why people nod out and you're calm or, you know, so my body had been so used to that, that, you know, when I got better and I was off it, it was like, I don't know what it was, but it was this flood of dopamine or just being off that stuff. I, my brain, like, I just felt good, but I felt too good. Like, I was go, go, go. I was working every day. I was golfing on the weekends. I was going out with friends and I overdid it. And I had a mania and, you know, I, I became pretty much delusional and I, I had to go to the psych ward for three weeks just to kind of get back to normal. And I, I wasn't okay for a couple of years after that. I didn't feel okay. I didn't want to be around people for the longest time. I just, I just wasn't okay. My brain, what was not all right. And I, put myself through so much my body through so much strain on the drugs and and then you know it just reacted and you know it put me to um the the psych ward and you know today i i can deal and and i you know take medication like i said on my methadone but you know i take medication to help me with my mental illness and to help me just kind of stay grounded and um you know I'm, i'm not ashamed of it and i think you guys would agree going back to our junior days and when we were younger there was such a big stigma behind talking about your feelings and 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 you know when i was depressed and i you know i i was at my worst point in junior i didn't really want to tell anyone you know i didn't really i didn't feel like i could go to you know my coach or some you know and just say you know i'm I'm not i don't feel good because they'd be like you know fucking man up and go fucking play hockey you know or you're not playing tonight exactly so it was just there you know i hope and i i I see in the world in general not just in hockey that it is changing and you know i I hope it keeps changing for the better i i couldn't agree with you with you more on that one i i want to ask you guys both you guys you know like you know i deal uh you know closely now with with some young hockey players at, at different levels and uh, as we know that, you know, junior hockey, there's there's some partying, there's some uh, chasing girls. And I think, you know, that's always maybe going to be the case. But uh, these young these young kids uh, playing in the WHL, OHL, Quebec Major Junior Leagues, you know, they're right now, maybe they're they're living their dreams. Maybe they're drafted. Maybe they're about to be drafted. Maybe they're new into the league uh, and they're having a lot of fun. And, you know, they're starting to drink and they're starting to. Uh, go down that path and I remember going down that path and and thinking like yeah don't worry I got this like I'll never I'll never ever uh, be I'll never be that bad like never be that bad like I got this what would your advice be uh, to kids in junior hockey Uh, not just based on their hockey careers uh, but based on thinking about kind of the ramifications that that you know, going down this path and, and 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 drinking and trying new stuff. If it's starting to feel good, like what advice do do you guys have? And Snowy, you're on the main screen, so we'll start with you. Like, what's your advice to uh, young players here? Um, this is uh, you know, I think we talked about talking about this, but 
that's a that's a tough one because you know you like you said just a moment ago you know growing up and playing and and, and just you know drinking young and, and maybe smoking some weed and, and kind of <clears throat> veering off the path a little bit that i was on um and i was like you know what? it's not a big deal i you know i got this and you know it's but the little things they they kind of add up in the end and and you know they eventually catch up to you and and <clears throat> one thing for me was you know i was completely determined i was an animal in the gym and i was i worked hard in the ice i you know i, I worked hard on the summers of three four hours in the gym you know in the off season i i had my fun but and then even you know on the weekends during the season and thinking back you know I, it were, you know my mindset at the time was you know it's not a big deal it's not going to affect me but you know if i look back now and you know being drafted to the nhl and then you know i think you know where, where did it go wrong like what you know you know because I, I i take accountability for it and yeah my agent wasn't there and he didn't um you know have my back when i needed him or you know or, you know i can those aren't excuses that's just the truth but you know i take accountability for what happened but you know i, I just lost first of all let's be honest like there's it's like 0.02% chance you're ever going to play a pro hockey game in your life. Any kid, so these, you know, these crazy hockey parents that think their kid's going to make it, you know, that's highly unlikely. But, you know, if you, if you have the drive and, and you, you, you know, that's something you have within you and you want to, you know, it doesn't matter if you go pro or not, but, you know, if you want to be a good hockey player and, and have that focus in life, just keep your, you know, keep your mind on that goal at the end because thinking back now to a young kid and you have the world by the balls and everything's great and and you know now it's been you know 2006 i was drafted in the nhl it's 2021 and go, where the fuck did my life go you know you know how why am i not playing you know and you know coming into my 10th year in the nhl you know where did it go wrong and you know i think back to the little things now because you know yeah i drugs was the thing and I, I hurt my knee and all that bullshit but you know even when I was 14 15 and then I played junior and B you know in those years before my OHL you know I went on the weekends with the guys and I smoked weed I drank and but you know at time it was like innocent stuff but you know I just didn't I I had that end goal in mind but it was just like I veered off my path a little bit so you know if you want to make it and, and you you want to really give yourself a real shot you know you know then just Think about that end goal and keep the discipline. Just keep your mind focused on that. Yeah, you can you can have fun. You can go with the boys, but do it at the right time and and, and just be careful with it because you know there was guys you know like uh, an example Cody Hodgson. He he was in the Brampton coming in as a rookie and he just didn't drink. Just wasn't didn't want to. But he still came to the rookie party, but you know no one no one forced him or anything. And he was just like he didn't. You know, no one peer pressure or anything, but he just didn't do it, and he just didn't want to. And he had, you know, when I think back to myself, I think back to him a little bit because, you know, he just had that mindset like this is my goal, and I want to reach my goal, so I'm not going to let anything else get in my way. And people can, you know, yeah, you're not going to be the coolest guy, you're not going to, you know, have the most friends, and people are going to be like, you know, why are you staying home tonight, and you know, hanging out with your girlfriend or, you know, just whatever. But because because you want that end goal, and that end goal doesn't have to be playing in the NHL or playing pro hockey. It could be going to school, being a doctor, you know, or just you know getting into a trade. But you know, this we talk about hockey because our lives revolved around hockey. But you know, 
it's not all about hockey because there's life after hockey. And, you know, when I was young, I didn't think about life after hockey. I just thought about the time that I was, you know, where I was and what I was doing and I wanted to have fun and life was good. But, you know, I, I lost my way a little bit. You know, I, I when I maybe should have just stayed disciplined a little more, I, you know, I, I, I veered off my path and, you know, I, I would, if you want to make it, if you really want to give yourself a real shot, then just stay disciplined and, you know, work hard all the time. And, you know, you'll get your chance if you, if you want it that bad, but, you know, don't let anyone else from the outside pressure you and pressure your decisions and what you want to do, you know, even if it's not the coolest thing, you know, now, especially now, you know, back then when we were younger and going back years now, when we watched hockey, the game has changed so much. And there was, you know, so much obstruction back then. There was fighters, there was big guys that were in the league. You don't see a lot of that now because it's, just, it's, it's you know, a lot of young players, a lot of skilled players, everyone's fast, everyone can stick handle, everyone can shoot the puck. So you, you know, you got to be the best now. You know, you might be able to get away with it a little bit years ago, getting, you know, sneaking into the league, you know. But now everyone from the first to the fourth line and all the D-men are the best of the best. And, you know, because, yeah, I'm sure there's guys that, you know, go out and party and like to have a good time, but they're far and few between now, especially now in, in today's hockey world. And, um, yeah, it just there's there's so many variables that can affect you. And my dad used to say this when I was younger, you know, you, you you're, build your reputation day by day. You build your reputation your whole life. And in the snap of a finger, your reputation can be gone. So, you know, that's something to think about, you know. It's one, it's one bad, it's one bad decision. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, you know, I, I believe that a lot of this stuff has changed uh, in our game uh, with like hazing and stuff like that. Uh, But from conversations that I've had, uh, just over the last little while uh, from junior hockey leagues around North America, uh, I talked to people and kind of pick their brains and talk to different players, talk to different coaches, uh, try to see what's going on in and around the league. Like have, has it changed that much? Um, you know, I'm, I'm in the know of knowing that there's been a quite a few, a handful of players uh, playing junior hockey this year that have too been in the psych ward while playing junior hockey. Right. And uh, it's still happening because the pressures and the stresses and everything else. And I know there's uh, been some instances in different leagues where uh, guys have been drinking and getting themselves in situations with girls and that could essentially ruin their lives and uh, drinking and driving. And like you said, it can all go away in the snap of a finger like the snap of a finger. Right. And it's, I love what you said about maybe you're not going to be about the coolest guy in the dressing room. And I want to ask you guys both this question. I'll ask Greeny first, but how, you know, I don't know if you ever felt like that, you know, not fitting in, in the dressing room and trying to, you know, impress the older guys or just make sure you feel like you're accepted. And of course, I think as humans, it's just a natural thing, but I wanted to be accepted by all these guys in, in the dressing room and, and, and fit in thinking that they were brothers, thinking that they were my friends and, and in some cases, some of them I still talk to. Very few, though. Very few. Where where are they now? Like, where did they go after you're not playing with them? Uh, and why did I care so much? Why did we care so much to fit in when we go back to what, what Snowy's talking about? If you have an end goal, whatever that is, don't let other people influence you because those people that are influencing you in that moment are not going to be there later on, most likely. So, Greeny, hop in. Let me, let me hear what you have to say about everything that we were discussing there and maybe some advice for you. And I'd love to hear... Uh, both you guys, uh, you know, if your kids want to play hockey, 
Are, are your kids playing hockey? Um, so, you know, the drinking, I wasn't, um, I wasn't the guy that was trying to feel accepted by them. That's for sure. Um, if I was invited and I was going drinking, I, I was going, um, that's for sure. Um, but you know, for, for people and kids that are coming up, like when you make that transition from, um, minor hockey or into junior into the OHL or Kane hockey league, some sort, um, you gotta stay, gotta keep to your roots. Um, you know, remember where you came from and, Think about all the other things that that team has to offer you. Like, it's not just like, all right, the drinking, the teammates and everything else. But like, there's like from Windsor for me, like there's so many people to meet from backgrounds and all different um, stories. And, you know, I met so many people and connections. And, and it's like what you guys are saying, there's life after hockey. So, you know, if you stick to drinking and the carrying on and and living the the crazy stories of of junior hockey and that's what you're there for you're you're going down a bad path because you know being in junior there's a lot of other connections you can make because you know only a small percentage of guys move on from there and since you're in the ohl you can meet a lot of people that can impact your life later on when you're not making money from hockey, but you could be making money doing something else. You know, you got to make these connections and you got to find those people. Um, It it is very, very important and learn life skills. Like there's these kids, man, it's so bad because I see it. I see it so much now um, like a boss and, and work and some construction especially the, the kids now these days not even hockey in general but just kids these days have zero idea of of hands-on work and 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 using common sense um so you know i couldn't imagine a like what a what a kid in hockey playing junior hockey is like now at this point in time um, I was always very hands-on, so I, I transitioned pretty easily. But, like, you know, a hockey player, if you don't make it and, you know, you don't have the schooling and you've got nothing else to resort to, you know, if you don't have the schooling, you should be trying to meet other people in these big organizations that you have and try to find something you're interested in and use all the resources they have. Even if they're giving you some schooling, you should be taking it. Say, me, I never took it. But, you know, here, here I am telling everybody they should. But it's because I've learned from it. Exactly. You know? So, and, and, you know, it's they they have a lot of different things for these kids. And even if there's something that you're interested in that they don't offer you, go and talk to the coaches, go and talk to the GMs, go talk to a booster. You know, like there's, there's so many other things that you can do to keep yourself busy and just learning because, um, you know, it's it's terrible. You know, you, these kids, they get into junior and they, they own the city. They, yeah. they don't own the city, but, you know what I mean? They, they do whatever the Feels hell they like want. It, doesn't it? They go out. <laughs> yeah, what's that? Feels like yeah, it, though, doesn't well, it? It does, right? And you're, you're, you're not even an adult. And yeah. you, you have, you're, you're known. You're, you're in commercials. You're, you're, you're going to bars. You're not even of age. You're talking to whatever girl you want and, you know, 
And then some guys take that even too far, which is yeah. still you know, happening. It's, it's terrible. And it, it happened a lot back in my day. Still um, happening the same. That that part hasn't know, changed. I, at all. I was I was always raised to be very respectful. <laughs> so that was uh, something that um, never really affected me that much. But um, you, I saw you, it time time you saw it. You saw it all the time, right? And I think oh, yeah. I think that's that's a big thing. Like I, you know, and I really think it's important. Like, you know, I had the opportunity the other day um, when I was in North Bay uh, to actually meet the GM of the North Bay Battalion. I went in their room and I met their coaches. I got to meet their guys. I mentor uh, one of their players a little bit. Um, just try to teach him from from my experiences. But you know, he kind of mentioned to me like. Hey, you know, like shoot me an email. I think, I think, you know, a guy like you needs to be in around these kids and, and share your story. And I'm really hoping that, you know, the leagues wake up and understand that guys like myself, snowy, you greener, like we're here and we have this lived experience and we're only three of many. Right. And unfortunately, and, and tragically, I tragically we're th like, not, not for us, but tragically there's others that behind us in the, or behind me in these pictures that have very similar stories, right? That got addicted to painkillers in junior hockey from a doctor and it put their life on just a totally different trajectory or in pro hockey, they get injured or they, you know, their career doesn't pan out the way that they wanted. So they didn't know what to do and they end up taking their own life and, and they don't know how to find themselves after that. And, you know, it's, you know, in I feel junior, very, oh, go ahead. In junior, they should have one, one guy at least per team or per two teams similar to ourselves that is available to these kids at any point you know what i mean whether you pop in for practice here or practice there or game here show your face they have your number you need to be available these kids are going through a massive change in their lives where they're starting to deal with them a lot of things on the ice and a lot of things off the ice. And, you know, especially in those talking, they need somebody that's been there and have seen these things. And, you know, I've, I've emailed branch many of times and, um, I spoke to him kind of similar about it. Um, I haven't gotten very far with that. Um, but who knows, <laughs> you know, I, hopefully they, they come along and they start to see these things, you know, like you said, with the hazing, you know, things eventually happen and it slowed down. Well, it happened because there was a lawsuit and people started losing money. So, yeah, the fist started coming down and they started cracking down on it, right? You know, what's when's, when's it gonna, when, when are they going to start cracking down on this stuff? Because I haven't seen any lawsuits. I haven't seen anything like that. You know, there's a lot of people dead. There's a lot of drugs being used and nobody's been responsible. So, you know, not to say that it should happen, but I'm just saying, like, you know, something needs to be done and people need, they need to have these support systems. Yeah, especially in those leagues with those kids, because they're at a point where, you know, a lot of them, you know, a handful of them could be drafted to the NHL, you know, a handful, you know, they, they have aspirations. If they're in the OHL, the WHL, the Q, you know, majority of those kids want to go pro, you know, and, and we were in that position, you know, we, we know what it's like to be there and to, you know, feel the pressure and, 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 you know, go down, you know, the wrong path and, but be on the right path and, and, and be where we want to be. But, 
you know, we know what it's like to, to go from there to where we were, to where we are now. And, you know, yeah, like Greeny said, I, I think it's extremely important for, you know, even if they don't have someone on call that's there in their city, for someone to talk to these kids and tell them, you know, and, and similar stories to ours and, and let them know that, you know, there is um, people available to talk to. And, you know, there these are signs that, that even yourself, that you can look for in yourself, that you might be slipping a little bit, you might be heading down the right path, the wrong path, you know, you, you know, you might be doing all the things right. But, you know, especially with that girl thing, because, you know, junior hockey, you, you know, like I said earlier, you know, your reputation, you build a building, you can ruin it real quickly. And, and it's, especially with, with, with the girls in hockey and, you know, they're, they're around the rink a lot and they're around the boys a lot and, you know, you can get in trouble really quickly. And I'm not saying, you know, the, guy, the boys aren't going to stay away from the girls all the time, but, you know, be careful because, you know, it, you know, you could uh, end up with something on your hands that, you know, will ruin your career and just like drugs do, you know, something like that could and, and drinking and driving. And, you know, just, I think someone speaking to the kids in junior, well, even if it's older AAA kids or, you know, their yeah. parents or something like that, you know, just letting them know that, you know, this is what we went through. This is, you know, this are our stories. And, you know, we, you know, not that we know everything or, you know, we're the know-all be-all, but, you know, this is an experience that, that we had that we know about that, you know, we want to share with you. And, and these are signs you can look out for in your son or signs you can look out for in yourself signs that you know you can look for in your teammate and and you know because you know that's how you're gonna you know i think help someone is if you notice something and you notice someone acting different or you notice someone's you know slipping a little bit drinking too much and and you can grab them by the arm or you know you, you can say hey you know or you can tell someone and and you know so you know, i think uh, hearing guys like us you know stories like ours and how it can change so quickly from being one of the best hockey players in the world to being almost living on the streets or living on the streets and, you know, shooting up dope in a hotel room. Wow. And, and it does, it does happen so quickly. And I just appreciate you guys, just your vulnerability and honesty. And, um, you know, I just share something quickly because I've been, I've been, I have I've had a great privilege lately to be in and around kids again, um, not in a huge capacity, but spent certainly the last week. And it's been, you know, over the last two years, I've had opportunities to do it. But um, shout out to my buddy, Dan Spence at 360 Goaltending, former w two-time WHL All-Star, I think. He's a two-time CHL Goalie of the Week, two weeks in a row. He's the only goalie to ever do it. Uh, he's the head of 360 Goaltending. He lives out here in Ontario. He brought me back on the ice for the first time after 10 years, like a year and a half ago is when it all happened. And um, I didn't first time I went out there, right. I had no teeth. I hadn't been on the ice in 10 years. I was like, I don't even belong around these kids. I'm fresh out of jail, barely clean. Like, and he's like, no, I got you. Let's go get out here. And, you know, I, I had zero confidence when I got out there, but you know, this past week I was on the ice like eight, nine times at, at more because it was double session, but eight days in a row times two, 16 ice times with these kids, with these goalies. And, you know, now I'm starting to feel better about myself and starting to understand that like by being on the ice, I can share little bits and obviously depending on how old they are or whatever, but having the conversation with the parents that I've had, and at the end of the show, I'm going to read a, I'm going to read a letter and I've, 
and this isn't to brag or to, to do anything between Dan and myself, because he's gotten a lot of messages uh, about me being in and around the kids and how much of a positive impact it had from the parents messaging and everything else. Um, but what I found is that like parents, at least the ones that I've spoken to are like, yeah, like if, if, if I want, you know, if, if you're doing stuff with all like I want my kids around you. Like I, I want my kids around a guy like you or a guy like you snow, a guy like you greenie because they've been there and it wasn't just like perfect and they can learn and they can understand like from a young age. Like I really believe that like there are things that you can do even for kids at the youngest age. You want to talk about five, six, seven, eight, especially getting into nine, 10 into their early teens. Like, you have to be having these conversations and sometimes it's not always going to, you know, what we all know what it's like. Your parents are going to sit you down and be like, okay, okay, son, here's what you don't do. And da, da, like, it's, that's one thing. But all of a sudden you get three guys standing up there going, Hey, you know, we, we had the world by the balls here. We've been in your position, whatever, this is what can happen. I think you, you get their attention quite a bit more quickly and they, and they actually do pay attention. And I've, I've lived it and I've had the privilege to experience it. But I think overwhelmingly that parents agree with us that they need to implement this. And so if we can't start to do this stuff in the junior leagues, why not prepare these kids before they even have to go through that? Like, I can't tell you how many 16 year olds that I know that went from being this innocent little kid to thrown into the CHL, either the dub, the O or the Q. And now all of a sudden they're at a rookie party and they're getting drunk for the first time. Very first time going to play junior hockey, you send your kid here, 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 son, you know, and or, or to school here, here, my young daughter, whatever. Uh, shout out to the young lady played in the queue the other night. She lost uh, in OT, uh, but incredible to see a, a young woman a goalie playing in the Quebec League the other night. Um, but here, you know, we trust, I think, I just can't say we, but parents, I trust that we're sending our kids these organizations that are going to take care of them and they're not sometimes exactly and we go back to saying hey we run the town i don't know about you guys but it was like this it was like this okay practice one or like 12 to two usually it was only an hour so you're done by one you're out of the rink by 115 and now it's like okay curfew at 11 i'm like now from 1 1 30 in the afternoon till 11 at night I could do whatever the hell I want, driving around with my teammates, running the muck all over the town. Nobody has any idea what I'm doing. My parents certainly don't know what the hell I'm doing. Billets don't care. Billets, yeah. Well, some billets, yeah, because they couldn't. No, some are better than others for sure. But yeah, they, they, they can't tell you what to do. You know, as long as you're home by 11, as long yeah. as you're home by 11, you're doing whatever the hell you want. Yeah, now you Even have to... when I was in high school, I didn't have to go to school. You know, they just gave me the marks, you know, for whatever reason. You know, me I too. would give even some of my teachers tickets. They didn't care. Me too. I mean, 80 didn't, they knew I wouldn't show up on game days. I just didn't go to school. It's, yeah, no, it's, you're, it's you're wild, you're, you're right? right? And it's wild. So it's like, and for me too, and it's not just the drugs and the alcohol. I've also heard of many stories of players who just didn't know, like you're not, you don't know what it's like to go into this league. It's a mini NHL. You're, you're, you're supposed to act like a professional. And again, you want to talk about reputation. All it takes is doing one thing wrong. You don't even know you're doing it wrong. Cause you've never been told. And now they look at you like you're like, you're no good or they get rid of you. And it's like, huh, well, I, I didn't, I didn't know. I thought this was okay. I'm just a 15, 16 year old kid. Um, nope, sorry. You know, you did this or whatever. And look at all the stories that we've heard yeah. where and guys get cast aside for, for doing something. Like I always bring up the Terry Trafford story, 
right? Gets kicked off for, for breaking team rules. And I don't know the whole story. I'm not saying that you should have kept him on the team or they give him multiple chances, chances, chances. But when you, when you do something like that and to send him off on his own without telling his parents, without telling anybody else, um, you know, and just saying, Hey, you know what? Your time here is done because you made a mistake and basically you're no good. And, and you send them off. And, and now he's like left feeling like this whole world is closing in and he goes and he takes his life. And on top of that, they didn't find his body for 14 days. And this happened in the OHL. And I don't understand why people are still not talking about this. Like, yes. like it's just gone away. Like, like how was that situation handled? Um, and, and how many other situations have there been? How many, the garbage bag treatment, you know, um, you know, you show up and your stuff's in a garbage bag and it's like, uh, it never happened to me, but I saw it happen to so many other players. And it was like, wow, like, okay, they're out of here. Are you following up with them after? Like, are you actually yeah, seeing exactly. how that, that individual is doing? Who, if he's not good enough to play on this team, does that mean he's not good enough to still be cared about? a person. Yeah. And going back, to, going back to what you said with, you know, sending these kids away and just, you know, thinking everything's going to be great. No, these, these parents, especially if a kid's going to the OHL, the dub, the Q, even if it's junior hockey, just away, if it's, you know, a uh, school in the States or, you know, just a, moving away from your home where you know where your kid is and you take care of your kid and you feed him and you, you know where he is and you know when he comes home at night, not know when he comes home, but you know he's safe and sound. You know, and these kids are moving away to a new city they don't know, to a family they don't know, you know, with a bunch of people they don't know. And, you know, these parents have to be more diligent on just following up with their kid and saying, you know, are you okay? Do you need anything? You know, and just, but even if their kid says, yes, everything's fine. No, they go in for themselves and just make sure everything's okay from A to Z because, you know, so easily things can change and slip and kid can go into, you know, not feeling good and a depression and, uh, you know, I'm mental on this really quickly and just, and it happens so quick. And, you know, yeah, these, these kids, they're still a person, but, you know, when they're not good enough hockey player to be on a team, they're sent away. They say you're not good enough. See you later. Yeah. Does anyone check up on them? Does anyone make sure they're all right? You know, you know, so it, there's so many variables that you have to go together for these things to work out the right way. But, you know, we send it, we, we trust these organizations that our kid's going to be taken care of, that our kid's going to go to school like he should, you know, like he was at home, like he, that he's eating well, that, you know, but a lot of the time from my experience, from a lot of experiences I know about kids, you know, that I played with, that's not the case. They're in these houses where, you know, no, no one's cooking them dinner. No one's cares where they are. We're not saying the billets have to baby these kids, but even vetting families that want to take kids in i think it should be a deeper process to know that you know this is something that you know requires a little bit of attention it's it's, it's a kid coming in who doesn't know anyone is not going to know you is not going to know anyone around them is still a kid is living with his parents is going to need some support from you guys you know he's going to that that's what the part of this building thing is it's not just being a place where the kid can sleep and eat you know, just being there to support the kid as well. So I think that isn't a big enough part when you choose a built section. Yeah, you see it's a nice house or, you know, but it's, you know, there's a, so many variables that go into a kid moving away from home. And, and yeah, you know, I just, I can go on forever about these things, but they have to be checked into, they have to be looked after. There's, you know, 
no, you're, talking talking you're, to parents and kids about this stuff, you know, it can go on for days, but there's so many things that can happen that parents and they have to the parents have to take the responsibility because it's their kid in the end. And sometimes, you know, they think their kid's okay and they think everything's gonna be great and it's not. And sometimes too, it's like I, I feel like parents want to turn a blind eye because parents get so lost in the dream. It's like, well, this is what has to happen. You know, suck it up. You're there. Exactly. Just be grateful you're playing in the CHL. Be grateful you're playing in the OHL. And it's like, okay, well, that's great, but I'm not feeling right. And I'm not, you know, things aren't right. And it could be dangerous. My first suicidal ideations really came when I was playing junior hockey in Swift Current. No disrespect to the town of Swift Current. Actually, my billets at the time were great. But I was feeling so alone. And and just, I, I didn't even understand what was going on. I was like, all I knew is like, I didn't want to be there anymore. I didn't even care about hockey anymore. Hockey was no longer doing what it had done for me for so many years, which was essentially my first drug. That's why I fell in love with hockey to get away from the trauma and, and everything else. It was the only place that turned off my mind. Like we talked about the opiates. Uh, Greeny, is there anything that you want to chime in about here? No, you guys pretty well nailed it. Um, you're right with the vetting process. Um, I think they do the best they can, but there's not a lot of people getting in line to do those positions. You know what I mean? You're, you're talking, um, especially in the smaller junior leagues, um, getting billets and people signed up to take in billets. Like, it's 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 a it's a very hard process for these teams to find somebody, especially this day and age, with how expensive things are. It's not like these people are. Um, you know, they're, they're not paid good money for these kids to be there, especially a big hungry kid that needs the food. Um, and, you know, I, I lucked out. I had just the most amazing people. Um, and I've only had to use billets once. I only played for one junior team. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the kids need as much support as possible and they need to be with the right people in the right home. I would almost suggest that, you know, there should be two kids per billet home. You know what I mean? Like one kid in, in the billet home. I, I almost think so. Yeah. Because yeah, I think you're then right. There's then there's, then you're validating how somebody's feeling. Like if you got one kid in a home and he thinks something doesn't seem right, well, now it's that kid's word against the billet people. Yeah, and who knows? Yeah, maybe it's a kid that good. you know may have issues that uh, you know that the coach isn't too keen on, and he's going to believe the billets over the kid. You know, yeah. If there's if, if there's two kids, which a lot of times there are, but if there's two kids on the team that are in a home together, then at least there's another kid that you can bounce off of. You know what I mean? And the kid has yeah. more support because he's got a teammate in the house with them. And, you know, maybe they're a little more comfortable having another teammate there. So he's not going back to a house by himself. Yeah, I went you, on about billets, but I ha I actually had great billets when I was in Brampton. They were awesome people. Yeah, I, I, I will second that. Um, I, I had a, a, a bit of a tough experience with one set of billets that I had. Not going to say where 
Um, I had a couple um, shitty ones, but but, but I primarily I was I was very fortunate. Um, the Curse Lake family and Swift Current, shout out to them. I used to play cards with them at night and stuff. If I didn't have them that year, there's no way that I even make it out of there because I was still a mess. But they were the ones to rein me in and say, "Hey, you know what? Just let's play cards tonight. Let's whatever stay." And it made me feel like I was a family. They had three young boys. I you know I I didn't really have that kind of dynamic growing up and it felt really good. And, you know, again, in Kelowna, I had phenomenal billets, uh, the Ramponi, I lived on the Ramponi farm. Uh, and again, I lived with another guy, Dylan hood, and that certainly made the, the world a difference, even though he was younger, I was 20. Uh, but it almost gave me like an added responsibility having a young guy in the house. It's like, shit, well, I can't be doing this stuff because I don't want to pass it on to, to this young guy. Uh, but for, for you guys, like, snowy like i know you have your daughter but you know if you have a you know your daughter or if you have a son at some point uh where's your stance on on you know chasing that dream like you did for your kids um i think it's completely up to them um i i got a daughter she's eight she's not too big into sports she likes gymnastics and dance and stuff like that which i'm completely fine with if she ever said hey you want to play hockey or want to do sports i would be completely all right with it um i will if i you know have a boy one day i'll put skates on him and give him a hockey stick if he likes it he likes it you know and i'll give him all the tools and he needs and if he wants to play and wants to keep playing good i'm happy with it i won't pressure him i won't push him you know i'll give him you know because i you know i had my dad was not the most loving father he was you know kind of a hard ass but at the same time I don't think I would have got where I got if he hadn't have been that type of father. So there's a give and take there, you know what I mean? You know, so it's 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 a tough uh, dynamic I think when you have a young kid where you see so much potential in, but you know there's a, there's you know, it's it's a tough it's hard because I know I went through it with my dad, and but you know I I, I had friends fathers that I got close with, but I never had that close with connection with them, but he was always had my back. He was my, my biggest supporter, you know, um, and, but I wouldn't have got where I got if it wasn't for him. So, you know, it's, it's tough, but yeah, if my kid wants to play, um, I'll, 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 I'd love for him to play. And if he likes it, he likes it. If he doesn't, you know, I don't care. He can figure skate. He can do gymnastics himself. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Greeny? Uh, I, I honestly, I doesn't bother me, whatever he wants to do. He's not going to see it on TV in the house or nothing like that. Cause I, I don't watch it. I don't know. I couldn't tell you won the cup last year. I couldn't tell you, I couldn't tell you every team in the league probably. Um, I never kept up with hockey my whole entire life. Um, so he's not, it's not like he's going to see it through me watching hockey and he's going to grow some love for it. Um, he's going to have to be something, though, because I'm going to want him in some sort of sports. Um, I already looked into, like, jujitsu gyms and stuff like that for him. So when he's five, he can go there. Um, uh, I might start him out in lacrosse, see if he likes that. That was always a, that was, that was one the only sport I think I ever played that I actually enjoyed and had fun in. Yeah, I like lacrosse. Um, yeah, I forgot to but, play it, uh, man. It was, it was nice to cross-check people. I didn't either. Home. I get to play it, like – I didn't get to play it like organized. I only ended up playing it in high school, and you know I had so much fun. Um, but uh, I'd like him to try to. But other than that, man, no, he can do what he wants. They don't bother me, and I ain't gonna yeah. push it if he starts playing it. Like, uh, you know, 
Good luck. I asked, I asked that just based on our own experiences. Right. And I think, you know, I think back to all the hardships that I had in hockey, uh, a lot of the problems that, you know, essentially maybe hockey caused me different injuries, uh, moving away from home. It was hard, but in retrospect, hockey really did teach me a lot. And I'm not sure if I, if I'm not a hockey player, I don't not, I'm not sure that, me personally, I'm not saying that, you know, if you don't play hockey, you can't get through drug addiction. But for me personally, I learned uh, like the skills that I needed to fight through the addiction and everything that I went through by learning to fight up, fight through it on the ice and pick myself back up in those tough le lessons. And so I, I, le I personally learned so much from the game of hockey. Uh, I often wish sometimes not so much anymore that I could go back and do it all over again, knowing what I know now. But I think that's uh, the same for anybody anywhere doing anything. Hindsight is 2020. Um, but yeah, you know, guys, I, I know, uh, guys got to work tomorrow sure greenie's got to probably be up earlier than all of us even though i can't sleep and worth a shit anymore uh, i don't know if it's the time change or just the fact that i actually enjoy getting out of bed now and i don't hate my life which which is certainly nice and that was the case for for a long time so um the three of us there's no doubt that i think we're gonna have to do this again and uh, i just want to put it out there for anybody watching or listening certainly in ontario uh, in and around the, the greater Toronto area and down in Windsor where, where snowy is and different places like, you know, the three of us are really looking to, to make an impact, not just in hockey, but in communities with youth and, and sharing our stories uh, in hopes of helping others. And, and I know we talk about all the time, the three of us, you know, doing a panel, doing different things, you know, even branching out and being like, okay, green, greeny, you got this one or snowy, you got this one. And I know some of us have more time than others to do it. Uh, but if anybody watching or listening thinks that the three of us or one of us or whatever could be of any value to to any of your organizations or teams or whatever, this is something that, you know, I think I can speak for all of us right now. And you guys can jump in if I'm wrong. Uh, but it's something that we really want to want to be a part of moving forward. We want to be a part of the solution moving forward by sharing our experiences. And if that means that we bring in other people, whether it's other players with the same experiences or, or, or professionals that can help on the clinical side that maybe we can't, um, it's certainly something that that we want to do and, and stay tuned for more information on that. And um, is there anything uh, that I miss? There's no doubt in my mind that we, we're going to have to do this again. Like this is uh, uh, just incredibly powerful show. Uh, but is there anything that you guys uh, want to say uh, before before we sign off here? Well, first of all, if I knew my name no, was good, pop up on the bottom, I would have put my real name. That's not man. <laughs> 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 oh i love it i love it that's, okay. that's, that's your hockey nickname man that's that, i loved it when i saw when i saw that look at the front center snowman i loved it and look you got the snow jerseys in the back snowman it's good for people to know your nickname we know who you are man aaron snow uh aka the snowman uh is that what everybody called you everywhere you went uh growing up yeah it was snowman uh yeah snowy on the ice yeah i didn't i don't think i anyone ever called me by my first name it's it's a you know it's it catches on quick no doubt no doubt before before we before we go um i'm gonna get to just a few comments uh here and uh see what people have to say uh there's one for you uh appreciate you telling your story snowy terrible uh there wasn't support there when you needed it the most thank you for coming on tonight that's from my buddy brody down in barry um marty westerland says what's up guys first time watching thanks for stopping by marty uh luke boucher up there in gananoque uh 
uh, friend of the show, friend of mine, friend of Josh Balderson, who's sitting on the other side of the camera over there, uh, says hockey becomes a business and more about the money than the person playing and their well-being. So many great players get pushed aside when they think they become damaged goods. It's sad. No doubt. No doubt. Um, Marty, again, says that's how I'm feeling alone. I'm 30 days sober and I have no one doing this journey of sobriety alone. Need someone to talk to to get things of past and present out. Uh, well, Marty, I'll just speak first on that. Uh, congratulations yeah. on 30 days and, and keep it going. If you guys want to hop in here too, feel free to, to say something to Marty. I think I speak for the three of us, but yeah, you don't feel alone. You can shoot me a message on Facebook. I'm sure Brady feels the same way. Green feels the same way. But yeah, um, every day is a new day. It's a struggle and there's going to be ups and downs, but you know, you know, you get to the next day and you battle through that one day and you get to the next one and you slowly, you know, it gets easier. But, you know, and, and touching on what Brady said for a second there. Um, yeah, it's it's not like we, we think we're going to change the world, but I think that, you know, we can make a difference in whatever that is. And, you know, if, uh, you know, just talking to young kids whether they're playing hockey or a different sport or anything like that but you know i think you know we could make a difference and even doing stuff like this you know enjoy it and it's nice to just talk and tell your story and and, and not have a filter about it and, and not be ashamed of it and uh but yeah i think there's 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 a need especially in today's world with not just drugs but mental illness and all that but um you know there's a need for kids just to hear these stories and and have an outlet and 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 know the signs, the parents and the kids, you know, the parents, we really, I think, harped good on the parents today. And, you know, not that we talk too much about the signs that they could see, but, you know, just letting them know to be aware that, you know, if their kid is acting a little different or, you know, if their kid does move away, that there's, you know, make sure that everything is okay and that they are okay. And, and, uh, but yeah, I think we can make a difference in whatever we do, whether it's just doing this once in a while or, you know, branching out and talking to kids or, you know, if we, you know, happen to get, do something in the OHL or the CHL, you know, I just helping anyone that's struggling one person, it makes a difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, thanks for sharing. Thanks for uh, highlighting that snowy. You're right. Uh, Brody says, with you, with you, Greedy, the game needs change where there's a way or line of help for the younger athletes or parents to reach out. Um, and that's sort of what we just talked about. Uh, Marilyn Sorrel Snow watching all the way down in Florida says, so proud of my nephew from Auntie Mar in Florida. We'll give her the horn. Right on. Thanks. Thanks for watching, Auntie Mar. Mar Mar, well, that, that's what you call her. Of course, you did. I used to call my auntie Lee Bobby Bobby. So I think that's a little, you know, we can get, I don't know where Bobby Bobby came from, Auntie Lee, but it did. So uh, Stuart Smith, who is actually the chair of the board of directors for the Puck Support Nonprofit Charity, which I'm very excited um, to, to announce that is happening soon. Another thing that I want to talk to you guys about and have kind of you guys, uh, you know, right there with me along because it's, it's kind of out of my hands. I'm not on the board of directors. The charity is, is being built and it's, in, it's incredible. And I think it's something that you guys need to see um, definitely before we launch it. I, you guys are going to have a huge input uh, and impact in that. I know it's much or as little as you want, but he says, thanks to all of you for sharing your insight and experiences. It's unfortunate that so many, I've been affected, but hopefully conversations like this ignite change. 
Take care, guys. Uh, we all also have Joanne Richard Mulder watching. It says, you are all very courageous sharing your truths, wishing for continued recovery. Thank you, Joanne. Uh, David Carlton, one of the guys that's been around since virtually day one of this podcast, dating back to the early episodes of Hockey to Heroin, the road to recovery out there in St. Albert, Alberta. St. Albert, right, David? Says, great interview. Thanks, fellas. You're most welcome. I'll speak on behalf of the three of us. Rick Sterling, he's got his, he's got the puck support picture as his, uh, his emoticon there or whatever the hell you call it. He says, by changing nothing, nothing changes. Now is the time. Couldn't agree more. Uh, Matthew Means are all the way down in there, all the way down in Ushuaia, Argentina. You cannot go any further south without hitting Antarctica. Says, stories that need to be told. Thank you. Thank you guys for stepping up. Uh, Coach Dad and Sons, Coach Cam Reed and his family, his beautiful wife Kaylee, and his three boys down there in Barrie who have become quite close to me and, and uh, everything that's going on here. I've had the chance to meet them on multiple occasions. In fact, they actually watched my daughter Veda when I went to the Toronto Maple Leafs game. It says, thank you for sharing your stories. Uh, he said, a great episode, guys. He came back with another with another uh, comment there. Uh, we have one from Frank Ciambriello. says, you know, all the time we spend in the room having meetings, watching film, game planning. I think junior teams should have a weekly meeting just to talk about whatever. Give them the opportunity to open up to teammates and coaches. My coaches never asked me once if I was okay. Maybe I would have told them the truth if I had the chance. It's about having the conversation. If anybody wants to hop in and comment on that, by all means, go ahead. Yeah, it's true. Very you know, true. I, I think in times when I struggled the most, if someone might have just asked if I was okay, maybe I would have said something, and it never came up. I never but even I, heard. Like, go ahead, Maria. Sorry, like we in in junior, like we or not junior, in pro, we always had chapel, you know, and and yeah, it's Bible study. And, and guys aren't into that whatever i always enjoyed it it was it was something me and it helped me out a lot but also we spoke together about lots of different subjects not just the bible um and that was huge but i never saw any of that in in the ohl unfortunately we um, had it in belleville and it should be but no one really went did you we had it. We had. We had. Yeah, it nobody too. ever really went either in pro. But if somebody's hurting, they might go. But either way, mm -hmm. not, I'm not saying that they need to introduce chapel. Now is a different time. Guys might not even even know what the hell it is. Um, but you're but right. Once a that. week, there right. maybe there should be something, some some sort of outlet, like a support group or or anything, right? Like something's got to be in place anyway that's something yeah. we can talk about at another time or deeper or something to implement um if we ever get this into something bigger where we have some sort of say what these leagues should be doing for the players and what we can do to support the players but yeah and i don't know i think brady gets it enough but the amount of how much brady's done for this community and um you know, just thanks to him for starting this and, and being such a huge part of starting to bring change and, and awareness to what's going on. And um, it's uh, been happening for so long. And then uh, it's nice to see someone so similar doing something 
so big and 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 making difference and and like i said a few minutes ago you know helping one person makes a difference and brady's making a huge difference in what he's doing here and and um he's helping you know like he says he's been talking to kids and 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 teams and and you know he does his podcast i think he was in 90 something episode and it's it's been good to see you know and i said this in my last time and, and, and talking to him personally it's it's nice to see someone doing something about it and, and, and stepping up and, and making a change. And, you know, he says a lot that it helps keep him, you know, grounded and, and sober. And, and, um, you know, he does the same for us. So just thanks to him. Well, well, thank you for the, seriously, thank you for the kind words. Um, but you know, it, it's you guys too, right. That, you know, I, I know we're not the only ones and I'm not the first one to start talking about it. But when I started to realize that I've lost so many friends and teammates and stuff, I, I had seen enough. Right. And, uh, you, you know, you guys didn't have to come on this show. You guys had nothing to, you know, really gain, really. I mean, I, maybe maybe it has been helpful in, in a sense by sharing your story. And I hope that's the case. But I really believe that you guys do it because you want to you want to see change and you want to you want to see people that not have to go through what we went through. So, you know, I thank you guys uh, for, for being here and being so vulnerable. And I just think that, you know, honestly, I can say this, that the three of us together uh, have have such a such potential to make a, a, a tremendous impact on the lives of of many if uh, if we're given the space to do it might not be for everybody but i'm telling you right now that there's players playing junior hockey that need to hear our story and need to hear more about this because uh, there's there's players right now that are going down similar paths right and maybe we can't get through to all of them uh, but i think that you know, right from the NHL down, uh, they need to start doing more. Uh, to me, it's a lot of smoke and mirrors just to cover their asses. Um, you know, I, I do hear some good things about different programs at the NHL level. But what about if you're not in the NHL? What about junior players? What about, you know, lower levels? There's virtually nothing there. And I'll tell you, when you're out of that league, when you're out of these leagues, there's absolutely nothing there. So it's, uh, and it can be very lonely and uh, dangerous. Uh, Brody says, great episode, guys. Thank you for your time and sharing your stories with us. A lot of valuable information. Give it tonight and I'll second that. Um, Luke says also, agreed. Brody, he, why is every day somebody calls me Brody? Without fail, my whole life, Braddy, Brody, uh, maybe he's just doing it to mess with me. Uh, but yes, we de definitely need to do this again. Uh, uh, the second last one I want to get to is uh, from Dean Smeal uh, out, out there in uh, St. Paul, Alberta. Uh, he says, thank you, fellas. Keep scrapping is what I think he's saying there. Um, the last one that I want to get to. Uh, is from Michelle Miner. Her son played for the Barry Colts and lost his battle uh, to addiction. He passed away of an overdose uh, just over a year ago, uh, just over a year ago. And the Miner family has become extremely close uh, to myself and puck support. And, um, you know, they, they're in, in, for me personally, they, you know, Tom and Michelle, uh, their daughter, Lindsay, uh, their grandkids and Daniel's wife, Haley have been an integral part uh, of my life uh, since meeting them. And I've had the chance to spend uh, some time with them in person. And I went to Daniel's celebration of life. And, um, you know, I never got to meet Daniel Miner. Uh, some of you, some of you may have uh, come across paths with him uh, at different times, uh, but this is a story uh, that started very similar uh, to, to ours, uh, certainly to your guys's, uh, you know, getting injured in junior or getting prescribed this and yeah. it sends you on a path of uh, addiction. 
And uh, again, I just count my blessings. And I, I, I know you guys do too, that we're still here to share our stories because there's families like the miners. Uh, we heard about Isaac Lee at the beginning of the show. Um, you know, Marla has texted me, his mom, since, since doing the show. Um, you know, lives have been lost. Lives have been lost. And uh, I know talking with Michelle and Tom, um, you know, they would have never expected this hap happening to their son. You know, another second round draft pick to the OHL. Um, and, you know, things kind of fell off for whatever reason, um, you know, essentially breaking team rules and getting kicked off the team kind of thing. And, uh, and that was it. And, and we all know how that feels to feel left empty and feel like our lives are over. And then you go to this, this, these drugs, certainly in the case of uh, opiates like fentanyl, um, it just turns your brain off and, and all of that stuff just doesn't matter anymore. And I think it's uh, really important for people to understand that more needs to be done. Parents, you need to have these conversations with your kids, regardless if they're a hockey player or not. If you sit here and think that your, your family is above all this or that your kid, this will never happen to your kids, uh, you know, I, we all I think we speak for all three of us. We hope that it never does. Yeah. But there's always a chance, right? So she yeah. says, thanks for sharing your personal stories. Very powerful. Michelle, I love you. Everyone down there in Dunville, you guys have been just a tremendous support to me um, and, and a huge reason that gives me a lot of accountability when you make relationships like this, when they've lost a loved one. You know, Daniel is right here behind me always. And, um, you know, I wake up every morning just saying thank you uh, for still being here. And, you know, I get messages from Tom or Michelle saying, hey, have a great day. It's a it's a it's a it's a reminder. It's a reminder. Right. I know they're hurting. I love you guys. Um, thank you for watching. Uh, I guess Not to cut you off. But, yeah, our stories are a little bit older. But just to hear that, and Michelle, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. And, you know, that could have been any of us. And, and, you know, our stories go back years now. But this is recent and this is still happening. This isn't something that's just going to go away. It's going to continue to happen. And, you know, there's there's got to be stuff implemented and done about it and support systems set in place. And and not after the fact, you know, not support system just for when someone has passed and, and yeah. someone has something tragic has happened. But before the fact, to, to, to acknowledge, to give knowledge to these these kids, whether it's hockey or a different sport or just life, kids growing up in high school. You know, this, you know, our story to go back years, but this one doesn't, this is recent. This is with, you know, within a year. So this is still happening. It's, it's happening everywhere. Uh, Greeny final, final comment from you, buddy. Anything you need to add? No, just, uh, you know, we got a lot of wisdom and a lot of time put in with uh, some terrible situations. You know, there's probably not much in the way of, things that I haven't seen or heard of, you know, whether it's the kids going through something, even the parents going through something. Um, we got a lot to say and a, and a lot of people to help. And, you know, hopefully we're able to do that. And, you know, Brady, you're doing a hell of a thing with this podcast and you've reached a lot of people and, you know, you're truly blessed and, and thank you. And uh, thanks for having me on. Hey man, you guys, you guys are both welcome guests anytime. This was, uh, I got, I'm getting a couple texts um, right now just about how uh, powerful this, this episode was. And I got to sit back and listen to you guys uh, for the most of, 
most of it. And I'm just grateful, so grateful for your friendship, number one. But number two, uh, for your willingness to share your experience with others because it's going to take an army. It's going to take an army of us to really make a change. Like I said this earlier in a lot of my videos, it's one thing for me to come on here and people can say, well, okay, well, that's one guy. There must be something wrong with that guy. He must be whatever. What do you say to three guys that went through the same thing? And there's even more that'll stand right beside us or behind us or more tragically that are on this wall that are no longer here looking down. And uh, I, I'm sick. I'm sick of hearing of stories, especially in the hockey community, um, that we're losing people. Because I always looked at hockey as a family. How can we let this stuff happen? How can we let people fall through the cracks? But we are. And the time is now to make a change. So anyways, you guys, I am so grateful for you in my life. Um, I love you guys like brothers. Uh, I really look forward to doing more with you uh, in the near, near future. I know, Greeny, you're a little more busy, uh, but the three of us, uh, we're going to make a tremendous impact. However, we have to do it. Whatever doors we have to kick down, I think we're all pretty tough. I think we can do it. What do you think? Yeah, you can tell he's busy. He's almost falling asleep. Look. Fucking up since 4 a.m. This is past his bedtime. Yeah, yeah like, bed like an hour and a half ago. Yeah. Okay. Well, you go to bed, man. You guys have a good night, and uh, we'll touch base with you tomorrow, and we'll figure out uh, when we'll do this again. And uh, yeah, just grateful for you guys. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Rose. Thank you. guess I got to bring myself back in. I pressed the wrong button there. Rookie mistake. Chalk it up to a fine. Thank you to Richard Greenop, Aaron Snow. Wow. What an episode. What an episode. I'm going to gather my thoughts. I'll be back here in a couple minutes. We're like two hours and 10 minutes in. I still got at least another 15 minutes of talking here. So sit tight. I'm going to uh, address a couple things. Like I said, stick around. I'm using Josh's computer and I haven't quite figured out his mouse there. We'll turn it over to our good friends over there at Pride Tape. Hockey is for everyone. And PuckSupport.com. If you like the hoodie that I'm wearing, if you like the hat, we have a lot of other stuff. PuckSupport.com. The next, I think, I don't know, 20 orders I keep saying, but we've sent out more. But we'll start it again. The next 20 orders, you're going to get a roll of Pride Tape. You're also going to get a puck support helmet sticker to put on your helmet. And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. Take it away, Steve Buckley. Hockey to Hell and Back is brought to you by Pride Tape. Pride Tape is a badge of support from teammates, coaches, parents, and pros to young LGBTQ players. It shows every player that they belong playing the sport they love and that we're all on the same team. Show your support for teammates, coaches, and fans in the LGBTQ community by wrapping your stick with Pride Tape. Every roll of tape will make an impact in sports and beyond. Inclusion starts with leadership. Check out some of the ideas of how you can get involved at youcanplayproject.org. Check out Pride Tape at pridetape.com. For more information, you can send an email to aubrey at pridetape.com. That's A-U-B-R-E-E, -E, Aubrey, at PrideTape.com. You can find PrideTape on Facebook.com slash PrideTape, on Twitter at PrideTape, and at PrideTape 
on Instagram. Pry Tape thanks all of you for being champions for change. Thank you to the great voice of Steve Buckley down there in Oregon. And, of course, to the amazing people at Pride Tape. Dean, Jeff, I love you guys. I love what you're doing over there. They've been huge supporters of mine. And I want to highlight that Pride Tape, yes, started for the LGBTQ plus community. But it's about so much more than that. It's about standing up, saying hockey is for everybody. Everybody is equal. Everybody can play the game. It's not just hockey. It's other sports as well. Uh, it's a stance against bullying. I always have it on my the knob of my stick. And I know a lot of the young kids like Lando Snipes. He's got it as well. I know the Reed family down there in Barrie as well. Stuart Smith watching. I know he's got it on his stick as well. Shout out to my buddy Curtis Gabriel, who got me hooked up with them. Friend of the show. Currently with the Rockford Ice Hogs, the American Hockey League. Had a great chat with him the other night. Spent an hour on the phone with KG. Love that guy. Absolutely love that guy. Anyways, um, two things that I want to do. And I'm going to try to hold back tears here because this one, I've, uh, I don't read this. I don't read this because I want people to be like, oh, great job, Brady. Or that you know, trying to, to brag or anything like that. And I'm not going to tell you that there's several more of these letters that I've received and how many, because I want accolades or attention or anything else. I read this. I'm going to read this to you because if you're somebody that is struggling or you feel that you've gone so far down that you can't come back, this to me, this letter And I have a few of them, but I'm going to read this one. This is a comeback for me. This is a comeback for me. It's one thing to get clean off drugs. That was the first step. But I never thought that I was going to be around hockey again. I never thought that I would be able to coach kids again. I never thought parents would embrace me and allow me to be around their kids. So I'm going to read this to you guys. And this was an email that I got this morning. And this is what it says. Dear Brady, as days move along, for for the first time in a long time, we as a family are feeling something special in our hearts. We keep talking about that guy we met in Aurelia and in North Bay during our six days training with 360 goaltending. The guy that we spoke to in the lobby at the rink that told us about puck support, the hockey player that just rocks the ice. Like there's no tomorrow in brackets. You probably have heard it a million times. My son was proud of going up to you in the stands at the trappers game to say, Hey coach, but especially a guy that made an impact on our son and not even knowing it. We started watching many of your videos and read about your story. To make a long story short, thank you for your presence on and off the ice. I wish we could have had longer to chat and hopefully in future we can all meet up again. We will be ordering some puck support apparel and decals online for my son Miguel's goalie helmet. Take care and continue being that guy. P.S. 
I'll send you a picture of him during the next tournament. Miguel sporting his new puck support apparel. Hopefully it gets here in time. That's from Jeremy Bridget and Miguel Goddard, who I had the pleasure of meeting. Um, thank you. I cry. That's actually the least amount that I've cried since reading that. I've read it 10 times. But that just goes to show you that it doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It matters what you're doing today. And it that does feel really good to read that, to understand that people understand that addiction can take you to some pretty dark places, places that are unimaginable, make you do things that are unthinkable. We talked about it here on this podcast tonight. First, I hurt my family. Then I hurt some of my friends. And then I just took it to society and took it out on society and ran amok on society, not caring. At least my addiction didn't care. But in here, I always cared. I just didn't know how to get out of it. And I thought even if I did get out of it, I was so far gone that there was no chance of ever having a life that was worth living. I'm here, to, I'm here today to tell you that my life is better than it's ever been. And I would not trade my life for Jamie Benn's $76 million contract that he's currently on, captain of the Dallas Stars, former line mate of mine. Guy's probably made over $100 million playing hockey. You couldn't offer me that life in exchange for mine right now. And I truly mean that. I am so blessed. I am so grateful. I am so privileged and honored to be in the position that I'm in. After everything that I've done, the choices that I made, yes, some unfortunate things happened to me when I was a kid. But I was the one that continued to make those decisions. Sometimes it didn't feel like I was the one making the decisions, but ultimately I had to stand up and own those decisions and own my life and take power back in my life. Nobody was coming to save me. Nobody was coming to save me. I had to save myself. And once I started to do that and started to do the right things and really just follow my heart and follow my passion, the most unbelievably unimaginable, beautiful gifts started to fall from the sky in all forms, in all forms. Thank you to everybody that's given me a chance over this last two years. We're coming up on two years since this podcast started. It'll be March 30th, maybe March 31st. I got to double check. One of those days was the very first day that I recorded a podcast called Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery. Since then, I've done about 180 shows, 175 shows between the two podcasts. It's been a learning experience, but I'll tell you, it all started right here. And without me taking a chance and sharing my story, none of this is happening. I don't meet Aaron Snow. I don't meet Richard Greenop. And I don't meet the countless people who are now a part of my life that are, I feel like are my family. You know, I felt like that when I was playing hockey, like I had all these family, these brothers, these teammates. A lot of it was false. The stuff that I have today in my life, the friendships, the relationships, they're not false. And either am I. And that's a really good feeling. So if you're struggling, I'm just one small example that life can get better. 
This episode was also brought to you by the Sober Buddy app. If you are in recovery, if you are struggling with alcoholism, addiction, and maybe you can't get to a meeting, maybe it's not for you, maybe you haven't found the right person to communicate with, go download the Sober Buddy app available on all app stores. It's, uh, it's pretty remarkable. There's little challenges in there, daily reminders. They even have a cute little bot that'll stay on top of you and make sure you're on the right track. It's not the end-all be-all, but it's just another tool for your tool belt. And it's certainly in mine. Shout out to the great people over there at the Sober Buddy app. You can get it available on all app stores. And I just greatly appreciate their support. Shout out to my guy, Brad, over there at Sober Motivation. I got to wrap this up, but I thought it was very fitting to read this. I read it last night on an Instagram live and I'm going to I'm gonna get through it really quickly because I appreciate you guys sticking around. A lot of people um, watch this show. It's really important for me to read this to you guys. I didn't write this. This doesn't come from me. I completely hijacked it off of social media, but when I read it, I thought if people haven't heard this, they need to hear this. And I'm going to turn the music right down and I'm going to read this. And I want you guys to turn on your ears, open your hearts, and listen. Did you know that addiction is classified in the DSM-5? It's a mental illness that lives in the brainstem. The same brainstem that serves a critical role in regulating certain involuntary actions of the body, including heartbeat and breathing. Addicts feel that they need their drug of choice the same way they feel they need to breathe. Did you know that our society treats addiction as a moral issue and pawns it off on law enforcement to control? The average stay in jail being 365 days or less where addicts are left to detox alone, which I did on several occasions in jail. Did you know the detox process can be violent and result in death if not monitored by medical professionals? We touched on that on the show. The detox process off opiates or alcohol can be, can honestly be fatal, more so with alcohol and benzodiazepines, but it is serious. Did you know the addict is many times released and at that time their serotonin levels are at their lowest. This leads to a high crime rate and a higher chance in relapse. It's a pun to say that it's, this is criminal, but that's exactly what it really is criminal. It takes an average of 14 to 16 months of sobriety for an addict's brain to balance serotonin levels to that of a neurotypical brain. Did you know that? Did you know that most insurances will only pay for 30 days of treatment for an addict? Please get mad about that. I'm begging you, get mad about that. Did you know that 136 people, I'll say that again, 136 people die every day from opioid overdose right here in this country. That's one person every 10 and a half minutes. By the time you're done reading this or listening to this and processing this, someone will have died from opioid overdose. That's someone's child. That's someone's spouse, someone's parent, someone's brother or sister, someone's friend someone's aunt 
or uncle. Let that sink in. Did you know that the two biggest factors that make an addict are number one, genetic predisposition, and number two, childhood trauma? There's not that one hit or that one decision that will make an addict. You never really know who is or is not an addict before they ever pick up. It's not a moral problem. And I repeat, it is not a moral problem. Just for a minute, let's take this in a little bit of a different direction. Did you know that the BRCA gene for breast cancer has a 5 to 10% genetic predisposition rate? People every day undergo testing and life-changing surgeries to avoid it. But addiction genetic predisposition is over 50%. Over 50%. Let that sink in for a minute. You still think addiction is a moral problem? A parenting problem? Too bad there isn't a surgery to remove addiction, huh? If there's one thing an addict would say, it's that they're still in there. I know because I've lived it. The person that you know and loved, they're still in there. They are not their disease. I'll say that again. They are not their disease. Addiction is a disease, much like diabetes. It has to be monitored every day for the rest of an addict's life, and it's hard. It takes support and unrelenting diligence like cancer in that it can always reoccur. The blaming needs to stop and we need to do better. The paradigm needs to shift. It needs to change. Public awareness needs to change. Insurance benefits need to change. Everything needs to change, period. The next time you hear someone say they have a choice or you hear others refer to addicts as a junkie, Start by educating them because that really is how this works. You can make a difference. You can change things. Starts with educating yourself and then spreading that knowledge one person at a time. I beg you, please join me in this. This is available on my social media and I would, re- I would really like it if all of you would copy and paste this to your page. If you haven't been affected by addiction directly, or even indirectly yet, I guarantee you it will happen. One in four people, one in four people will battle addiction. And it's time for us all to do more. Let's not cast these people aside. They're in there. There's a lot of good people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol that have no idea how to get out of it. There's not one solution for everybody My way of recovery may not work for somebody else. But at the end of the day, we just need to start talking about this and educating people and saying, hey, there's there's options available. And more than anything, there's people that care. I'm one of those people. Aaron Snow is one of those people. Richard Greenop is one of those people. And we have a whole team of people over here at Puck Support that care. Josh Balderson's behind the camera fist pump, and he's one of those people too. It's time, guys. It's time. I can't wait to show all of you the hard work that's been going into the Puck Support nonprofit charity 
All you've seen right now is the clothing line. That's all I could do. That was all I had in me. The resources, I did it. I started from welfare. I don't know how often I share this, but when I started this, I was on government assistance. I had nothing. It was going to be a process. I didn't want it to be a process. I wanted it to happen overnight because I knew people were suffering. I knew people were dying. I knew family members were being left to deal with the grief. And I know that there should have been more being done all this time. We're never going to tackle this overnight. Maybe not in a year, maybe not in a hundred years. But we can make an impact. And I cannot wait. I cannot wait to be able to finally share with all of you the amazing things that are going on behind the scenes of Puck Support. We have some big, big plans rolling out a national charity to really help combat these issues. But we're going to need all of your help. We want to align ourselves with like-minded people, like-minded organizations, and anybody that has seen enough and wants to be a part of the solution moving forward. Anyways, that's pretty much it for me. Let me check my notes just in case I got a couple more things. Looks like that's it. Lastly, I'd like to thank Dan Spence from 360 Goaltending. If you're in Ontario and you have a goalie, this guy's the best of the best. And I'm not just saying that because he's one of my best friends. He's incredible at what he does. But more importantly, Dan, thank you for bringing me back on the ice a year and a half ago. And thank you for trusting me with your students, with your goalies, because it's allowed me to find my passion for the game. My passion for the game is being on the ice with those kids sharing my experience, my skills. Just grateful to be in and around the game of hockey. It's given us all so much. And I think I can speak to any hockey player that's had the experience that we've had. It's been trying at times, but to be back in it is a real gift and something that I'll never, ever take for granted. So Dan, thank you. Thank you to the Buckman family, Blair, Mandy, Carter, Alex, even though he wasn't there, he's away at university. And their billet, Anthony Romani, 16-year-old for the North Bay Battalion, living at their house. Thank you for having me stay there once again. And you guys took me in like a year and a half ago when I had no teeth, skinny, really questionable. You allowed me into your house and you've allowed me into your house multiple times since then. And your family to me, I love you guys. I'm so grateful to have you in my life. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love the town of North Bay. I have so much time and love for the town of North Bay. We'll be spending a lot of time up there, potentially even moving up there in the future sometime. That's it for me. I'm losing my voice. Thank you to Josh Balderson behind the camera. Luke, I know you were talking to Brody. You weren't talking to me in the comments. Don't worry. We got that all cleared up, buddy. Um, Thank you to everybody watching. If you're watching, press that like button. Press that subscribe button. If you're listening after the fact, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, I have not forgotten about you. Thank you so much. If you're driving in your car, if you're at work, if you're doing whatever, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We got to get going here. Share it with your friends. We don't have an advertising budget. If you want to see your business advertised on the show, that's the direction we're heading. We're going to take paid advertisements uh, to continually try to grow this show to connect with more people. If you'd like to see your company or your products featured right here on the show, Send me an email to team at pucksupport.com and I'll forward it over to my guy, Josh Balderson, uh, and we can sort something out. Until next time, guys, be kind to one another. Stay grateful. 
Hello to Brooklyn and Brody and all my family back home. I love you. I miss you. I'll be back in BC very, very, very soon. Have a great day, guys, if you so choose. I'm grateful. Oh, yeah. Able. Oh, yeah. I'm stable. Oh, yeah. No label. Oh, yeah. You know me. I have only a path. I'm lonely. But damn, I'm going to I don't want no fake love. I want the real stuff. Everybody listen up. Because I'll only say it once. I'm going to show you all the path. If you want it bad, I'm going to show you every side. Yeah, how you can get it back. Yeah, because I ain't never done. I'll be number one. Working mellow hard until I get just what I want. Yeah, rise just like the sun. Yeah, fatal like a gun. Shooter's going to shoot and I'm going to shoot until I fall. Yeah, let's do it all. So I got to get through. And the only thing I know is to love what I'm doing Never give up, never slow till I finally prove it Never listen to the no's, I just wanna keep moving Yeah, I put out all this art, it's my only medicine Yeah, everything I do, I'm just being genuine Yeah, I'm sick of being screwed, feel my own adrenaline Yeah, I do just what I do, and I hope you let me in, let me in, yeah Oh yeah, I'm stable. Oh yeah, no label. Oh yeah, you know me. I have only a path. I'm lonely, but damn, I'm going to win. Yeah.